Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Andy Sharp. I'm Kyle Timberlake. I'm Tyler Schultz. And I am Jeremy Duvall. Welcome! Really excited to have Andy, Kyle, and Tyler here for our first inaugural all firefight episodes. This is pretty exciting, guys. Yay! Yeah, so as we have, as you heard on the show, we have uh, the man behind Firefight 2nd Edition and the Weight of Fire master himself, Andy Sharp. How are you doing today, Andy? I'm very good, thank you very much. Good, I'm re- really excited to have you on. I know uh, Tyler and I have just been, I know Tyler's been just it, it, nerding out and loving Firefight, but also I think he's been loving that I've been loving Firefight. I know when he when I put out my... Uh, Countercharge Mantic Army challenge of of getting all nerding out on Asterians that made you feel good on your uh, did that turn your heart light on Tyler? It, it did. It was like a warm fuzzy hug. You know, watching <laughs> watching you just geek out. I mean, everyone else is like, oh, I'm gonna do this thing with the orcs. I'm gonna do this with dwarves. And then Jeremy's just like, okay. And then I'm looking at the black talons. I really like the profile of them. And he's just like diving real deep into it. I thought that was so great. So I'm all for it. I am your biggest fan in terms of getting into firefight, Jeremy. So well, you're like my you're like my uh, my guardian angel when it are co- like my uh, uh, muse when it comes to the Warpath universe of games. You're always just like, I got to teach you. I'm going to teach you this little game, Dead Zone. I, I think you'll like it a little. Okay, Kyle. Kyle first- Pretzel Twinkie always called me his. Uh, oh, he always called me uh, the the sci-fi whisperer. Yeah, exactly. And like you and uh, who else we have on the show, uh, the Roman legionnaire Viking himself, Kyle Timberlake. You know, Kyle and Tyler. Kyle Kyle is like my my other Mantic game consigliere. So he is the one at the Kings of War game days where he's like, yeah, it's like the guy who opens his jacket with all the gold watches. Kyle opens his jacket. He's like, what do you want to play? You want to play Armada? You want to play Dead Zone? You want to play? What do you want? I got it all. You know, and he's got like all the different like uh, test armies of Mantic games. And Kyle and I have been playing Firefight a lot on Tabletop Simulator, and I uh, I know Kyle himself has been working a lot to get Firefight assets into Tabletop Simulator. So that's sort of why, you know, when I was thinking about uh, this Firefight-themed Countercharge episode, where Countercharge is in Firefight as a rule, so we're not, you know, it's, it's going to fit it's right very at much home. in the same vein, yeah. Almost uh, like it was intended. Yeah, and we're going to, yeah, it, it's just awesome. And so that's why uh, Kyle and Tyler are uh, decided to join the command crew of our Project Firefight here. Kyle and I have already talked about Friday Night Firefight at King's War events we're going to. As the audience, I'm really excited to hear your guys' feedback as we sort of put together this team that we're, you know, I think our goal is to try to get a completely firefight-themed episode out once a month. So, uh, you know, every couple of weeks, Kyle, Tyler, and I will come together. We'll have uh, guests, either developers like we have today with Andy, or we'll talk with painters or hobbyists. We'll do List Builder Studios. We'll, we'll do all of this sort of episodes that you love of countercharge but we're going to do them themed to firefight a giant countercharge expansion 
Yeah, it is. And, and, I, and I think we're all really excited for this game. I think a lot of us who play Kings of War also love the sci-fi genre too. And this now is a system, and we'll talk a little bit about it when we pick Andy's brain around the development of second edition, where in many ways, you know, there's this like kind of ancient saying in, in, that I've uh, carried with me in my life from sort of Eastern teaching that like when the student is ready, the master shall appear. So I feel like, you know, when the game shall appear, when the player is ready. So it's like, I'm ready to play sci-fi and all of a sudden it's like, oh, here's this game. And it's super clean and super streamlined and I love it. So we're really excited to bring you guys this firefight content. So stay tuned. Uh, we're going to be having, like I said, about, about an episode a month, maybe a little bit more. And as you guys are listening, if anything comes up, style of episode you want to listen to, just let us know and we'll be happy to um, do that for you guys. But before we get into talking with Andy and and hear a little bit more about his backstory and sort of the development of Firefight 2.0, let's see what is on everyone's hobby table. Let's start with you, Kyle. I know you've been working on Forge Fathers, I believe. Yeah, I got them uh, right next to me right now. I have... uh... I got my test scheme done with my first Forge Father to kind of see where I wanted to go with that. Um, and I'm doing like a modified uh, Death Guard, uh, like Horus Heresy Death Guard kind of color scheme. And now and remind first... me, what, what colors is that? Uh, that's like a gray with a green secondary color. And then uh, brass is uh, the tertiary trim kind of color. Uh, but the, I had to get a cloth, and in our group chat, we had uh, figured out basically like a khaki would be, would be good for the cloth areas on the... Uh, regular steel warrior models. Uh, so I have the first eight uh, batch uh, about 70% done right next to me. Yeah, the whole army is built. And now, now I'm kind of like, all right, 2000 points, what do I need to build. <laughs> what about this alternate list? And so I'm just <laughs> I'm making sure I have everything and just hammering away on that. It's uh, I got Rashad coming over tomorrow uh, to play uh, Kings of War. Cause he hasn't played Kings of War in a while. Get ready for masters or best rest for him. And then uh, he wants to play his first game of firefight. I got him in a dead zone. Now I'm getting him into firefight. <laughs> yeah, the, the, cheese has, the cheese has returned from the from the fatherland. Rashad is now back in the continental United States from Germany. So I'm super excited to have him back. And like I know he's been huge into dead zone since uh, Kyle got him into that. So I know he's excited to try firefight too. And that's what's really nice too is really you know I got, I got him some plague models and firefight is super easy transition to go from dead zone into firefight. It was that was a really uh, I don't, I, Andy, I'm sure you'll talk about that a little later, but that was a fantastic way to to build up a system and go. People like, people play Dead Zone. A lot of people are into that. Use the same exact models, same dice system. You know, the command system is a bit different, but even then, it's not totally different from how command dice work in Dead Zone. And just have fun from there. It's really uh, it's a great great uh, continuation of the play style. Yeah, and that was something like you said. We'll talk. We'll we'll talk about probably later. But I, I think it's something maybe they envisioned with Vanguard, but didn't quite achieve as much. Which this idea of you start off with smaller amounts of models, and then you build a little bit more, and you play the bigger style game. I think with Kings, it's just the amount of models you need is so much more. Whereas opposed to, de- you know, firefights in that nice little sweet spot of you know uh, models where you can add to a strike team and it's not terribly much more. Whereas opposed to Vanguard, you go from, I don't know what, it, what was it? Nine or 10 models to a full games of Kings. You could have hundreds of miniatures. So it's pretty big. What about you, Tyler? What have you been working on hobby wise? 
Uh, so I recently, I think the last time we recorded, I just said that I finished my like 4,500 points of repainting my Forge Fathers. So that was a huge accomplishment. I'll do a video on that at some point because I'm really, really proud of them. Uh, the way they turned out, it's like a lot of weathering, a lot of chipping, a lot of like dirt on the armor and stuff. And I'm really happy with the way they turned out. Uh, but then I had the Bug Eater Kings of War GT, and I had to get ready for that. Um, my buddy was going to print me out uh, two hordes worth of pe penitents for my brother Mark list, and uh, we couldn't quite get the printer to work, so then uh, it just kept having issues. So we sent out, we basically a third party did out to Tim Lonis in Omaha, and he sent me the stuff. However, I, I just got all the models on the Sunday before the tournament, so I had less than a week because we left on Thursday night to get two hordes of infantry done. So that was 70 penitent models that I cranked out between the night of Sunday and the night of Wednesday. So I went full madman. Uh, I went full assembly line, and I am very happy with the way they turned out. But that took up yeah, a you huge, are crazy. You huge are chunk. Yes, no excuses, Jeremy, Mr. 1.2 models a week guy. I, I don't want to oh, hear oh. it. Now we're, now we're up to... Okay, so I do this thing, Andy, where like I have... it's. I don't know how many days now until Masters for for, for Kings, 60-something or whatever. Or no, we're now down to in the 40s. So I calculate how many days left to a tournament and then how many models do I need to be completing each day to be, to be on time. So I was at like 2.12 models. So then I'm like, okay, I got to make some choices. So I decided to – I was trying to go for preferred model count, but I'm just like, you know what? I'm never going to reach it. So I went to minimum model count and I have so much basing elements. I'm not really worried about it. My bases will be full, but essentially in doing all my calculations, it's as if I just completed all these models. So I'm redoing my calculation and it went from like 2.12 models per day to 1.92 models per day. And I was just like, oh, well, crap, this is still a lot I got to finish. But um I don't want to hear it, Jeremy. I had I had water effects on my bases. I had you got to send me some I pictures a, because a I got to go to the bases. I, I mean, I I didn't yeah. slack. It's not like I cut corners and I did seventy full models. I need to learn how to go faster, but also you know we talk about it a lot. Uh, part of what makes takes so long is that some of my hobby time goes into the show. Like you know, you're filming battle. Well, I was just gonna say I got to do the show, but you do battle reports too. So I guess I have no excuse. Is what you're exactly. saying? Screw, exactly. Screw what Jeremy. I'm saying. There is yeah, no excuse. On, Basically, is what you're telling me. If I can be your muse, I can also be your personal trainer. Hey you man, know, I'm your motivator. I'm, I'm push out ready. another model, Jeremy. You can do it. One I'm more. Ready to One more. Feedback. Criticism <laughs> fuels me. Obstacles are a pathway to mastery. You know, let's do this. I'm ready. But, but um, basically, right before Bug Eater, I was starting to build up my uh, my firefight army, the one that was graciously sent to me by Mantic. Uh, so I'm working on the Marauders. I've got a scheme down, a uh, really bright blue on all the like caps and some of the armor and things like that, and then kind of a more pale green on the skin. Um, I find that those models are interesting in the fact that I don't think they look the greatest one-on-one, -on -one, but as units, I think they look fantastic. Uh, so like when you're actually painting, there's some... Some details and things that get a little muddy, but then when you put them in a unit, you don't even notice. You don't even care. Uh, and so I think they look awesome as, a, as an army, and so I'm trying to get to that point. So I've got basically two big squads of brawlers done for that, and then the rest is like the very beginning stages of like base counting. So uh, I've got a lot to do still. Um, multiple vehicles. I got what, one mule, two hornets to chew through, so... I got a lot going on. And then in addition to all that, all the editing and stuff, because I just filmed two battle reports yesterday. 
I got a lot going on. What about you, Andy? What have you been up to hobbyways? I know uh, uh, for those who follow your Way to Fire YouTube channel, you've been starting to do a couple of battle reports lately, but you got anything on the hobby table you're working on? Yeah, so what I've been working on is, uh, as I was just saying before we started recording, once I handed over Firefight to to Mantic, I sort of needed a little bit of a uh, step away from Mantic and sci-fi stuff from a gaming point of view. So I actually started doing a few historical things. I'm really interested in historical stuff as well. So I was putting a few things like that on the table. But now that um, the new releases are coming out, I uh, I've been picking up uh, those models that I need to now flesh out the Firefight armies because... You mentioned before, Jeremy, about the sort of step up from Dead Zone to Firefight. And I've been playing Dead Zone for a long time. So I've got huge Dead Zone armies, way more, same as Tyler has, you know, way more than you would ever need for to play Dead Zone. Yeah, and definitely, definitely so, guilty there. Yeah, exactly. So um, for me, it's really just filling in some units, you know, like the new Corruption I painted the other day for a bat rep and stuff like that. And also because the game changed so much, um through the course of its alpha and beta playtesting i didn't really spend much time on the models that i had at the, at the time particularly as a lot of the playtesting was online so now i need to go back and sort of look at my armies again and i'm repainting my veermin because i'm like ah, oh, they're a bit dull i kind of liked them when they were quite dull and just a dead zone force but now that they're on a table a big army i'm brightening them up a little bit i'm adding some color just sort of refreshing them a little and adding in those leader models to make them stand out a little bit more and and that because that's a key part of how the game plays. So for me, it's a case of just going back and like I say, refreshing or or picking out those selected bits to go forward. I do I am avoiding Marauders and GCPS because I know that they're armies I don't have huge amounts of. So they are in my uh, sort of vision as I, I need to deal with those at some point. But for the moment, I'm just trying to sort of concentrate on the ones I already have quite a lot of. Those would be sort of bigger start from scratch projects as opposed to like adding new stuff. Yeah, so for the GCPS, I've probably got like 30 models or something like that. Yeah, more than enough for Dead Zone, but that is not enough to play GCPS at Firefight. And Marauders, again, similar. I've got the old style ones, but the new ones that Tyler was just talking about, I've got them on my desk and I've built them. And I agree with Tyler. I think they're, they're nice and chunky sort of models. They look quite good when you sort of line them up on a table. Um, and the new skyscrapers are fantastic. So I've really oh, yeah. Them. Those guys so, are awesome. Yeah, so they're sort of moving up the table a little bit. I have built some and undercoated some, but yeah, I can't bring myself to do another army just yet without finishing the other smaller, easier projects first. Yeah. Well, I sort of have three uh, three things on my hobby table right now. I have like the my Twilight Kin that I'm finishing for US Masters, which is at the end of July. Pretty much have everything assembled primed some stuff finished i have a lot of stuff that i'm batch painting so it's really deceptive to know like exactly how far i am because when you're batch painting it's like it's all crap until you're almost done and then it's done and then it's amazing so i i kind of feel like i'm in that phase of oh man this all sucks i'm i want to you know what am i even doing with myself uh but i did finish my lothiel is pretty happy with i'm working on my on my impalers and then for um, Firefight, I've started to put together my marionettes. I Like Tyler said, in our Mantic Army Challenge, I have a, a relatively good idea on what lists I've been playing. I've, 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 I've been playing a lot on Tabletop Simulator with uh, Kyle, and sort of with the same similar core to the list. But I'm trying to decide sort of in that 1,500-point list, the last like six or 700 points, like after like my troop, 
my troop command and support choices. Like, what do I want to do as far as that sort of specialist or the, that, the, that section? So um, I've tried out Black Talons. I've tried out Phantoms. I've tried out um, a few different things. I'm liking the Black Talons, but I'm trying to figure out how I would model them. From what I can see, there is one Black Talon commander and then one Black Talon regular guy amongst the uh, Mantic models. I think one's in like a, a Dead Zone kit or one's, but there isn't sort of a Black Talon squad box you can buy per se. So Not I'm trying yet. to figure out. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out. Like, one, but... Yeah. What would you, in lieu of like finding that, how would you guys convert or what would you do to make like a black talon full unit like what is anything that's like coming to your brains on how you would model that i've thought about this a little bit i think just having the actual black talon model they seem a slight bit chunkier than a typical cipher but they definitely have like the cipher aesthetic um i think what might work well if you can do it is possibly taking the body of a marionette because those are a little bit thicker a little bit chunkier but then try to cipher it up a little bit so they don't have like the little like pistol style no rifle, but they have an actual no rifle. And so maybe do like an arm kind of conversion and a head kind of conversion on the marionette body. I haven't actually messed with this yet. It's just all in theory, but uh, I've definitely thought about the same thing. Cause I think the black talons are pretty darn cool and having only one pose is a little bit limiting right now. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. I think they are very limiting, but I think the main difference really is just on the backpack and the, um, sort of aerial vents, isn't it? So it's like the head and the shoulders. They had like the shoulder, I guess the shoulders, is that supposed to be their like jets basically? Yeah, Yeah, they have anagrav. And anagrav. I've I've never tried it, but maybe you could even take a cipher and just swap the arms over. You still have the the monopose arms and stuff on you because I think they come as a set that you clip on. Yeah, I don't know. It's a tricky one. I think what the the Asterians are crying out really for a hard plastic sprue of that you can build ciphers and the back talons on because they're all oh, yeah. you want to pose, aren't they, really? Oh, yeah, like a dual hard plastic kit for those elite Asterians would just be so awesome. I, the the one that popped in my head would be if you just get regular ciphers and you get some kind of cool alien jump pack to attach to their back, basically, and then you just use a paint job to differentiate them. Okay, so use the ciphers but give them some sort of anti-grab and then just like paint their helmets a certain color or something yeah. like that. Yeah, and I think it'd be cool like you you like get a really like alien looking like it almost doesn't make sense that it's giving them anti-grab kind of kind of look to it and then just paint it almost glowing or. Like, sure. I was like, I love that that trank of blue radiation kind of glow on stuff like that, like some OSL or do some like cool like yeah. plasma e looking like they do in the plasma weapons yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're an ancient alien race who've existed for how who knows how long that uh, definitely didn't create the plague. So uh, yeah, they did something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly, all right. As a dwarf player, I'm I'm sticking to that story. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. So they're a unit that I'm really interested in. I think they fit well with the sort of what, and we'll talk a little bit about that after we talk a little second edition. We're going to do a quick sort of uh, elevator pitch for each army, and I think that the Black Towns is a good example of what Asterians do well, which is like shoot on threes and are fast you know, and can redeploy and move around and be sneaky. So, but that's pretty much what I'm working on is uh, uh, sort of masters and then the Asterians and then sort of my palette cleanser game is uh, some of my buddies have been messing around with Marvel crisis protocol. So I might be, and I'm a huge comic book nerd. 
So I might be dangling my toes into that a little bit later in the year. So I've sort of just been kind of watching some battle reports on that. Uh, Cause that's very much different to like army miniature gaming. So it's, it scratches a totally different itch. Well, awesome. So we're going to take a break. And on the other side, we're going to talk to Andy about all things firefight second edition. We'll be right back. This is Paige from Singapore with the YouTube battle report channel, newbie dice. And you're listening to Fanshen Fan Ji. Hello, this is Duncan Rhodes from the Duncan Rhodes Painting Academy, and I hope you're about to apply a second thin coat just there whilst you're listening to Counter Charge. And we are back. So before we get into Firefight, I, I think we've had you on Counter Charge at some point, Andy. I would be shocked if we didn't. But for some of our newer listeners, can you maybe give us a little origin, a gamer origin story for you, maybe how you found Mantic Games and miniature gaming? Yeah, sure, sure. So, uh, yeah, I think I have been on once before. I can't remember. Um, so, yeah, yeah, thanks, Jeremy. Um, so, yeah, I've been, I'm in my early 40s now, and I've been gaming since I was probably about eight. I remember some sort of, we should have been in the late 80s, picking up um, some stuff my cousin was playing with, with the old sort of pre-slotter-based games workshop, lead, proper lead miniatures and stuff like that. Um, and so I've been in and around uh gaming fantasy science fiction mostly fantasy originally for a very long time now um started with games workshop moved into historical stuff i quite like history and so i've been playing a lot of that sort of stuff and then probably around the time that kings of war second edition um was on kickstarter which is probably seven years ago now or something like that um i sort of discovered mantic and i actually got into looking at Mantic and playing Mantic games with that uh, Kings of War Kickstarter. I played Kings of War quite a lot for a few years, an awful lot, in fact. And then um, discovered Dead Zone as well at that point. And so just sort of started playing that. Really loved that game. Thought it was really intuitive, really smart. I'd never played the first edition, and the second edition was Kickstarted not long after that. And I, I got into that for it was phenomenal. And having seen what the first edition was like, I... I had no desire to go back and play the first edition because it was a completely different game, much more. Yeah, you're not missing too much. It had charm, but it wasn't. Yeah. It definitely wasn't clean. It was not a clean game like yeah. Dead Zone Second and Third are. And then um, from playing that, I, I think I, I don't know what it was that sort of got me into sort of getting involved with Manta. I think it was the Veermin, and I think Tyler was a bit involved in this as well. We sort of, I had this idea that the Veermin, what having played them, I really liked them. They were the one faction that really sort of attracted me to the game more than any other and um i tried playing them and they weren't very good basically um and so i sort of set up this little playtest group um completely unofficial um and it was called make veerming great again or something like that which has become a bit of a toxic slogan perhaps in more recent years but um it was uh the idea was that without being official we're sort of like trying to give some help and say okay we've tried these things these things might help and then feed that back to the rules committee that was at the time and i guess that sort of got noticed and i was asked to join the rules committee for dead zone and you know that um that allowed me to then sort of put those ideas that i'd already had about tinkering with games i've always tinkered with games and to put them into something that then moved on and it was an interesting time for Dead Zone, because I think after the fight, after the Kickstarter had fallen, they then had the Warpath Kickstarter, and then the science fiction stuff had sort of gone really, really quiet. Actually, there were no new releases planned. the The book was fine. We did quite a big errata and stuff, which 
changed up the way particularly the Veermin played. And um but there was no real no real plan, no real confidence, I don't think, in Mantic that there was it was worth investing in. They sort of like, well that's people are playing it, but it wasn't really didn't have a trajectory, wasn't going anywhere. And well, then everyone everyone who was passionate about the game probably had stuff in the Kickstarter and then had a whole bunch of stuff. And then they didn't really ever want to buy new stuff because they already had all the stuff. And then with no new releases, it's kind of like a cyclical thing, right? It didn't ever. Absolutely. Absolutely. At the end of the day, we're all we're here to play games, but we're also here to play with toys, aren't we? So, yeah. you know, you, you've got to have the new shiny, even if it's not much to keep you sort of engaged with the, the community. So, I think that, that message finally, so in time, got through to the to the guys at Mantic. Particularly, Rob Berman was a big sort of he's a good friend of mine, and he was a he was a big supporter of the idea, and that got through to Matt and Ronnie that actually we needed to do something with Dead Zone to keep it to keep it going. It had a good strong community that were were playing game regularly. Um, at the time, we had Dead Zone, the podcast, we had Tyler doing his stuff. We'd started doing some videos, but it wasn't really growing as a game, and then. We then brought in, we were allowed to sort of basically up, upgrade the game with the Outbreak and then Escalation books. And they they were phenomenal. They were they sold out both of them. They stimulated loads of new players to come in. And they really sort of gave confidence that this game was evolving. But it did leave a little bit of a, a problem in that you then had people who had the core set who were sort of, a bit like with the Clash of Kings books. If you're not up to date, you're if you haven't got the new Clash of Kings book or you haven't got the new um, containment protocols, you were you were out of step. So then the idea of a third edition came up, and what was that going to be? And what was it, you know what was it just going to be a, a big major change? Or was it going to be a smaller thing? And in amongst all of those sort of conversations, because I'd been working with Mantic then for quite a few years, I'd also been talking to them sort of about what was happening with Firefight. And again, I don't think there'd been an idea really to necessarily do anything. Was Firefight a game that people could could actually get behind? Because I don't know if those who are on uh, listening may not know, but the Firefight Warpath Kickstarter was a was a big Kickstarter for Mantic, probably, what do you reckon, Tyler, five years ago now? Five years, I think, yeah. Uh, yeah, at least. Like That's that. pretty, yeah. Made a lot of good stuff. And I think the game, when it actually got to players hands there were some production issues which meant it came in dribs and drabs a bit and then i think it just didn't for some reason capture the imagination either at the firefight scale which is a sort of i guess it's similar to armageddon scale you know bigger games and then so at the warpath scale it was and then at the firefight scale which was sort of the 40k sort of level neither really seemed to capture people there were certainly some people who were playing it and tyler and i tried it a few times and i think we both probably found that it was all right but it just didn't quite didn't quite do enough for us to get it on the yeah, table. Like it, it had its moments, but it, it felt very disconnected from Dead Zone and the whole point is that we love Dead Zone so much. And I know that's kind of a segue into you know how this edition came about. But mm-hmm. yeah, it just didn't quite click. Like there was certain things, and actually just last night uh, after we filmed the battle reports, uh, Tim and I were just going through the channel and just watching some of our old videos. And we were looking at it and we're just like, man, like, look at all these tokens on the table. Why, why is it so cluttered? You know, we're just watching some of these old battle reports like, man, this just could be so clean. And it just wasn't. Yeah, it needed a refresh and it needed to be more in the same vein as what was already working, which was Dead Zone. So 
I'll kick it over to you, Andy, since this is kind of where the story naturally goes. Well, yeah, I, th- I think so. We're moving on to that. Way. So, you know, I think what my going back to my origin story is like just being involved with Mantic, then sort of it led into the dead zone. It then, then led into that conversation about, well, what do we do with the, the bigger game? And I'd been, I'd been sort of suggesting for a while that we should do something. Um, I didn't particularly have a, uh, you know, a horse in the race in the initial sort of conversations to say what what would happen with it. But like Tyler was saying, you know, I got absolute metric ton of dead zone stuff, and it's just sitting in. It's been sitting in drawers for years, and I wanted to play a bigger game, and so I actually even started writing a game before there was any sort of conversation with Mantic properly. And a few years ago, well before COVID, we did a a demo of it at an open day in um, Mantic HQ in Nottingham. And we called it Dead Zone XL at that time. And it was basically just Dead Zone, but upscaled. A bit changed so that you didn't have quite as many opposed dice rolls and stuff. Um, and we had we had great engagement from people. People were coming in and out of the room all day. Ronnie came backwards and forwards three or four times. So he was clearly sort of seeing that people were talking about the game and uh, and that was just a pet project, just to sort of say, "Well, I've got all this stuff. I just want to, I just want to play big games." Um, and so, you know, from there, it sort of led on to something a bit more formal, of course. So, yeah, I, it's an, it always. I think with all gamers, it's an evolution. You never sort of really stop. You, you know, my gaming started off with doing other things, then tinkering with them, and then that got noticed, and you know, you just move on from there. Really, kind of like this organic experience, right? where you have this sort of build up and the next thing you know you find yourself at the helm of designing a game. Yeah, absolutely and I I think that's you know it's it's interesting it's a real sort of personal achievement of course to have been involved in, in writing a game and I I sometimes forget that and I was just saying before we were recording and I'm going to say it again that my mate Hal who I do the bat reps with he um he reminded me the other day so if you go back to your 13-year-old self and say one day you'll write a game that gets published and people are playing and talking about across the world and imagine what you'd feel like. And I was like, do you know what? Yeah, you're right. That is a really nice sort of moment. So no matter how difficult it's been and stuff like that to get a game like this, it is it is great to have done something like this, which has been you know pretty positively received so far, fingers crossed. <laughs> I'd say it's been extremely well received. I, I think it's been it's been electric to see all the, all the people getting their hands on it and getting excited about it. And then seeing people like, you know, even like me who, you know, I, I definitely haven't played anything of larger scale than dead zone in that universe in a long time. And then all of a sudden it was like a tidal wave of, I need to be painting this. I need to be doing this. Ah, there's so much to do. So many things I want to try. So just taking it from the level of like totally out of it to 100% back into it. It's just been awesome. And I think, and I think, I think there's like a lot of park. I think there's a lot of us who love the sci-fi game genre. And I know Kyle and I have talked a lot about this and in looking at firefight, uh, it seems like almost in a way, sort of Mantic's greatest hits. And I'm curious to think about your thinking in that it, it feels like let's take some cool aspects of abstract terrain that works really well in Kings of war. Let's take uh, some aspects that are super easy to use from dead zone. Let's take maybe something a little bit from Vanguard. Was that sort of in your thinking of trying to, you know, in, in designing Firefight 2.0 to take these elements from other Mantic games that you really loved or are you really liked and put them into Firefight? You're a very smart man, Jeremy. That is exactly why. That's did, why so. they pay me the big bucks. I'm zero. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I um I really like Mantic games. I really like the style of um relatively simple but not simplistic rules, but a lot of tactical uh, mastery re being required. And you know, I like I say I played Kings of War a lot. I was involved in Vanguard as well, so some of the elements from that. Um, obviously, I've been involved in Dead Zone. And so absolutely wanted to take the things that worked well from these different games and add them to the game. Because my my view on what Firefight needed to be, I, I never once thought that Firefight would be anything other than a game attracted to Mantic fans to be honest now obviously there'll be people who come in from other areas as well but I, I think it was completely it would be completely wrong to say oh well, let's take on 40k or something like that i mean absolutely crazily different sort of aspects so the goal was let's start with dead zone core. you've got a good strong player base there people should be able to build up so it feels familiar to dead zone players but then there's loads of players like yourselves who play kings of war play armada play vanguard who are around and in the mix and seeing mantic games because one of mantic's probably biggest problems is the visibility getting enough sort of airtime out in the in the big world and so you've got to sort of concentrate on your course so taking elements of dead zone particularly but also those other games that people will even if 90 percent of the rules are different to what they're used to they go oh, i recognize that word like we talked about counter charge yeah. that word that does similar to what it does in a game I also play. The way Nerve works is not totally crazily different from Kings of War, for instance, in that things don't retreat, they just they just go. Um Dead Zone, the D8s, of course, that was a that was a conscious decision Huge. to bring the D8s Love across it. so that people can literally just take their dead zone stuff. You don't even need the counters. You know, you can just take your D8s your own minis and you can play a five you can probably play a 500 point game of firefight with a with a starter set and a booster set from um dead zone to be honest um and similarly with the the command dice so although the command dice are quite different from the original warpath and they're different from dead zone they're actually the same as we use in the walking dead and the same as we use in vanguard as well so again it's a similar mechanic one i think is really great actually i think um I forget the name of the guy who who brought that into The Walking Dead, but um, I think it's I think that's a really smart mechanic, and I, I wanted to bring all of those elements that I really thought were good into a game that was sat in a world and an environment that I I was happy and comfortable with, and um, and I think we've achieved that. I mean, I'm sure there'll be bits and pieces, of course, but you know, I think we've managed to tie that bit all together. Yeah, I think the. Especially with Firefight, I, I really agree with what you're saying. Manta games sort of at that DNA or chromosome level have this feel, right? And I think it, it, the more that they can play off that from game to game, I feel like when you're playing a Manta game, you kind of know what you're going to get, which like you said, is that minute to learn, lifetime to master sort of yeah. attitude. And I know yeah, for like yeah. us who grew up in, I know uh, like Kyle was like that too, who loved 40K or would play sci-fi games. This was like a breath of fresh air in that, oh, I, you mean I don't have to buy 15 books or I don't have to, you know, be following absolutely everything to be competitive. I mean, Kyle, speak to that a little bit. Was that one of the, the things that like you're so excited about uh, Firefight is that it's the sci-fi sort of genre, but keeping those things that we love about Manta Games and Kings of War, that like simplicity? 
Oh, 100%. I mean, just to, to go in a little backstory, I, 40K was my first major tabletop game I got into. Through 40K and eventually Warhammer Fantasy, I met my local gaming group, who I'm still really good friends with to this day. Um, and like that, I met a good portion of my lifelong friends playing those games. But as we as editions and stuff came out, it just like it became more of a, a chore to play them. I played them because my my friends played them, and and they played because I played. <laughs> it was almost like that that vicious cycle kind of thing. And like the when the rug got pulled under us from uh, when fantasy got taken out, like everyone kind of took a fresh breath there. Like, uh, what do we do now? <laughs> and my buddy, who's always looking for new and different games, he's like, "What about Kings of War? It's a new edition came out." And I I still remember reading that book and going, "Wait, rules can be written like this? Like we can just." it's just easy <laughs> like oh this is really straightforward where the company responds to stuff what's like what's going on and soon after we we stopped playing uh 40k as well just because that seven seven edition at the time was just getting nuts it was it really was starting to kind of creep hard a lot of like oh you know i played blood angels i think i needed like four or five books if i wanted to play everything just for that one army and it was, it was just getting too much and we all just you know, we with playing Kings of War, we was like, okay, cool. There's other cool games out here. And we stopped everything GW. Um, and I played the the first edition of Firefight and I, I was really into it. Like, you know, I could see that it was a first edition game and the balance wasn't quite there. And I was getting my friends into it. And then half of them moved to Texas. So that kind of kind of killed my initial Firefight run there. But I've been wanting a 40K replacement forever since 2015. And opening this book, and reading and I was like, this is it. Like it clicked. Everything clicked. I was like, I, I have I have my new 40k now. This this is so much better, so much more fun to play. Um, and everyone I've introduced it to is like, yeah, I, you know, including friends from my gaming group. They're like, this, yeah, perfect. I Excellent. I'm in. And beyond just the rules, and I know Tyler has talked about this on previous shows, I think that the the world is really interesting. And I think in Kings of War, the world is pretty cool, but it's still, it, I think it's much more difficult to create unique narrative experiences within a world that has so much of its ancestral roots within the Tolkien fantasy world. Whereas I think in sci-fi, and we talked about this with Tyler, like I said, uh, Tyler and Kyle before, so sci-fi spaces give you a lot more uh, freedom to develop. And I know as I've got older, to me, 40K was like the girlfriend you have when you're 19 to 23. Super hard to deal with. She looks amazing, is always dressed to the nines, is very expensive to maintain. But you you sort of have this love-hate relationship. Whereas like Firefight is like the girl that you want to marry when you're like later in life, when you, you have good, healthy conversations. <laughs> she still looks pretty good. You still love her, but it's it's more about a mutual, you know, it's more about like communication and understanding and not so much like just uh, chaos, I guess. Yeah, so. the bells and whistles don't get in the way of the relationship. That's what, I, that's what I'm saying, right? It's about it. the inner, and the, and the older I get, the more that I feel that way, because I'm, I, I, feel a kinship to Andy because I'm 41. So I grew up in the uh, gaming in the eighties. I remember my first GW uh, hard plastic kit was the original space Marine kit. And I had all those squats and exo armor and metal. So that's why I love forge father so much, but I just think the older I get, the more I, I want it just a game that I can pick up that plays smooth. That's easy to play. Uh, that still, that has all the tactical depth, but the tactical depth is on the table and it's not, can I buy all the books? 
is my reading retention skills really high so that I know on page 17 of this campaign scenario book, it says that my new unit that's not in this other book can do this thing that's in another white dwarf. It just becomes where it's too much. I think that's exactly right as well. I, mean, I am, um, you know, I've got a fairly busy job and I've got a young family and stuff like that. So I'm sort of time poor these days, you know, so I want, uh, when I get stuff to the table, whenever that is, I want it to be a good game on the table that's resolved in a timely manner and we both leave with smiles on our face, even if you got absolutely slammed. Um, and I think Mantic games are really good at that in general, and I hope Firefight is too. Um, and you're not having to sort of keep flicking back to the rule book and stuff like that. You, you Once you've played a game or two, you've got the quarter and you'll look up the occasional keyword or something like that, but you've forgotten. But you know, effectively, you've got a game done and dusted over a couple of brews or a couple of beers and um and that's it you're done that's the evening's entertainment perfect all boxed off but the idea of the alternating unit activation you know insert chef's kiss meme i just love it and i think it solves so many problems that sci-fi games have tried to deal with for so long which is how do i not make my army get shot off if i don't go first was that a part of the first first edition or speak to the the your the, the idea of the alternating yeah. activation I think it was, wasn't it, Tyler? I think it was in first edition, but yeah, I don't think it, you could alter it in quite the same way as we do in second. It was, but yeah, I think even just the addition of the extra activation really shakes that whole thing up and makes it feel unique and special. Uh, being able to activate twice in a row is just massive, and I don't think you could do that in no, I don't think old so. Firefight. I don't know. I've pretty much memory hold all of old Firefight, and I was on the rules committee, so I don't know what that says about me or the game, but... <laughs> I honestly don't remember much. I remember there's a lot of suppression tokens and things that just kind of cluttered and got in the way. But I want to say that was part of the game, but it didn't stand out like it does now. Um, I feel like I feel like the activations, the way it works now, exactly, Jeremy. It's just like a chef's kiss of like, oh, this is so fun, because you're you're not only are you on the back foot, but you're also on the, you know, on the aggressive like front foot too like at all times, it just makes it so interesting because, you know, if you see something happening on a flank, you can just divert attention and, you know, like do something on the other side of the table. And then he's got to think about that. And then it's just like this constant chess match of like, oh, I'm doing this. Oh, but I'm doing this, but oh, I need to react to that. And just, it's great. You know, and I think a lot about it with Asterians because they have the shield mechanic, right? Where, and then they have some orders which can refuel shields, but you can you issue you orders when you activate a unit. So trying to think about when do I want to activate this unit? When's it going to sh be shot at? When do I want to shoot with it? I just really love. And then also too, I love the fact that like in deployment, you look at 40k deployment or other games, and the deployment is so wonky because people are deploying their army entirely in a spot where it can't be seen if possible. So that if they don't go first, you can't shoot all their stuff. Whereas I feel like your deployment options in Firefight are so much more because you know, worst case scenario, your opponent's only going to have two units activate before you get to go. So then it's like, okay, do the, do I, is it now more important for me to deploy near an objective as opposed to maybe deploying behind a building that's all the way at the other end of the deployment area? You know, so I think it just gives you a more robust uh, selection of options. Well, it was definitely a, a plan to sort of have those elements there. And it goes back to what I said before about bringing across things that you really like from other games. So in Dead Zone and Vanguard, you can get you get this alternate sort of activation and you can break that sequence in, in different ways in both those games. So we've actually brought across really the sort of Vanguard mechanic, which is very similar to, to Dead Zone. Um, and I think 
that that is really interesting because it allows you to plan you can do that double whammy i do this you know, pin someone and then i go in with the other unit but also it allows you to react because you have your plan at the start of the round and then your opponent does something you're not expecting and you're like ah oh, right okay so now i need to do that and that ties back into something else i i really like in games which is what we've got here as well which is a, an economy within the game itself so the economy being your command points you know and how you spend them so you may start with let's say seven or eight command points at the beginning of the round okay in your head it's like well i'll use this to kill that and i use this to do this and, I use and it's all aggressive but then your opponent does something and you're like ah damn it i can't now do what i was going to do because now i need to do this thing to boost my shields for instance like you said or I'll, that unit will then get deleted or maybe my flyers got pinned now but i want to use him next turn so i need to save a i need to save a command point to unpin him at the end of the round otherwise he's going to do jack next round and so that sort of constant toing and throwing means that you're always engaged in the game even if you're not actually moving a unit or doing anything much because those sort of games where all one side goes and then all the other side goes, you're, you're completely passive, really. Um, and even in Kings of War, you are passive when your opponent is playing. Not quite so bad there because the game's so quick and so slick, of course, that your turn isn't long before you then come back to have another go. But some games, particularly science fiction games like 40K, you are literally doing just taking your models off until it's your turn to have a go. So I really wanted to make sure that we had that constant engagement uh, um, throughout the sort of each turn of firefight that you're always looking at the table like you never go away for a wee because if you go for a way for a wee then you know you've you've missed something important you need to come back yeah i like that idea like you said of the the economy right and that i and through my first few games that's what i've really noticed is is thinking about how to use that com those command points or command dice is so important, like you said, because you're trying to sort of balance between your army-specific ones, the, how important is it for me to take an extra turn, you know, and the fact that in my second game, we were really thinking about using how important was it to use your command points to do that extra activation so that you finished first, so then on yeah. the next turn, yeah. you would go first. Yeah, you know, yeah, thinking yeah. about like, how important is that versus like you said, I'm halfway through the turn. I have three command points. None of my stuff has been pinned yet, but is it going to be pinned? Like, do I need to keep just a couple command points in reserve for like you said, for that very fact? So again, it's just like, it's a layer upon layer upon layer of strategy, but built within an umbrella and framework that's easy to understand. Now talk to you a little bit about, um, I love one thing, it's always been frustrating with sci-fi games is the trying to figure out the true line of sight. And I know in dead zone, it works. You're dealing with smaller, smaller models. I think it's a little easier, but I just really love your sort of taking the abstract terrain system, like in Kings of war, you know, and I'm reading it. I'm reading like, Oh, your leader, your leader model and 50% of your unit. And that's just like leader point 50% of your base. It's something that's just so familiar to me as a Kings player. Talk a little bit about how you, you're thinking a lot around the cover and terrain system. Yeah, um, I think that's an interesting one because it started out being effectively like a lot of science fiction games, true line of sight or sort of an, an almost true line of sight sort of thing. And you mentioned the leader model there. We haven't mentioned that. So, you know, the, the leader model became a thing and, and it's actually – 
which is something that we tr- went backwards and forwards on a lot of times. My my good friend and playtest buddy Ian Davies came up with some of these sort of elements, and the leader model is one of his good ideas that initially I was quite skeptical on, but we added in a lot of these sort of elements, uh, including the terrain and not using true line of sight to speed up the game. Because one of the downsides of having alternate activations is that it does slow things down. And so we wanted to have the game play to completion in sort of 90 minutes sort of time, you know, an evening game or in a tournament setting, of course, you want to be able to get through four games and, and being a, you know, having played Kings of War, obviously quite a lot. And you guys know you, you really want to get that sort of four games played so you get a proper sort of winner and and you get a proper sort of rankings at the end of even a single day tournament because the three the three game events are just you know it's almost luck who ends up winning to some extent um and so those elements sort of came in we need to simplify things but keep the game interactive keep that in-game economy keep the game fun and fresh but simplify what we can simplify. So we simplified movement. You just move your leader. Boom, everyone's down there. Simplify terrain. Uh, and the beauty of simplifying terrain is you had a really simple but effective system from Kings of War. So why reinvent the wheel? Why not just take what you've already got? We did have buildings, of course. We wanted buildings to be interactive, which they're not in Kings of War. because we couldn't quite take everything over. But even the buildings, they were much more complex initially. Um, and then we simplified them right down to try and make them usable but not broken. So you can play in a, a relatively urban environment or a cityscape, um, and the buildings actually mean something. They're not just line of sight blocking terrain like they are in some games. You can actually get into them. You can actually do stuff. But unlike probably real life or real modern war, it doesn't take you all day to wink all the people out of them. You, you can still do it in a way that is uh, is fun and is and is gives you a conclusion in the game so so there's a lot of to in and fro in during the design process of how do we sort of take those elements that you mentioned there jeremy and, and sort of keep them slick keep them fun keep them uh going but also make it feel very fresh as well yeah and it's definitely a good cleanup from you know previous firefight as well i, I don't want to keep going back to old firefight but they're in that game is almost too advantageous to just sit in a building the entire game and then it's like well you know, I'm getting all the bonuses. My my unit's doing better, but I literally don't have models on the table anymore. I'm just staring at a building, pretending that there's guys in there, and it didn't really like the game itself. Didn't force you out of the buildings, didn't you know make you do anything with it? So it's like you just ended up playing, you know, building shooting simulator, and I was like, yeah, not a huge fan of that. So I think I think there's a nice balance between buildings being a tactical thing that needs to be used, and you know, encourages interesting play but also you can't just hole up in a building all the game and you know expect to have all the bonuses and win so i think yeah. it's it's a nice balance of what you guys uh tweaked out yeah. and i'm glad it got to that point and we definitely try to do that as well with the building so there are there's quite a lot of missions in the in the rule book as well there's actually 16 missions eight of which are sort of competitive play inverted commas and, and eight of which are more narrative although they're all sort of competitive course and and one of the reasons to do that was to do those things, like you said there, Tyler. I mean, if, you, if you're playing a straight-up fight, you're just trying to kill the enemy's units, then, yeah, occupy the buildings and just sit there and, and hunker down. But in some of the other narrative ones, you can't occupy the buildings, or occupying the buildings is no use to you because you need to move, you need to do things. And 
as you move around more, if you're sort of forced by the by the mission to to do things that you perhaps don't want to do with your shooty Asterians or shooty enforcers or your punchy plague, like, actually, no, I need to now go and look at this building or something, then the game changes quite a lot. You're not killing things in the same way because you're trying to score the points in different ways. A bit like in Kings of War, you know, the missions where you have to pick the gold or you have to get to the objective and stuff like that or secure the sectors, those sorts of things. They change how the game plays compared to a straight-up fight. And I find them personally a lot more fun. You're not more interesting to do things with when you're not just sort of across the table um, blasting your opponent apart. And I love the fact you just mentioned it there. And I think I really want to touch on that is I love the fact that built into the system, you're already sort of developing this idea of narrative versus competitive and that they don't have to be mutually exclusive, mm-hmm. that you can design a competitive game, but also add in narrative elements. So as Andy mentioned, you have scenarios sort of in the game, which are earmarked as narrative i guess are competitive but you could play both as is either or but i i like that idea and in and was that sort of part of your thinking of of wanting to design a, an inherently competitive and balanced game but still give play space for those that enjoy a more narrative experience yeah it's it's a funny one it's like, i don't think i sort of set out to do one or the other really um i know ronnie was very keen on sort of narrative elements and i think that's probably where my heart sits as well if i'm honest they're easier to write definitely easier to write because you can go a bit more crazy with them of course and i I guess it probably stems from not knowing if this game was going to be successful or not you know is there going we still don't know is there going to be a tournament scene um yes yes there is yeah yeah yeah. making it happen making it happen i really hope so but um so yeah i mean it was it was a sort of it wasn't exactly a conscious decision. It's just that by creating a narrative ones, you can just, we could be a bit more freeform and bring in some of that sort of spice from the world itself. So we've brought in things like, um, you know, we mentioned Dreadball MVPs and stuff like that in one of the missions. Now, they don't mean anything. It's just a character to get, but it's, it's just another element of adding in that wider fluff that goes with the world and stuff. And and the Maison Labs, you go to a Maison, oh, what's Maison Labs? It's, 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 again, ties back into the fluff. Whereas in a stand-up, straight-up sort of battle game, you don't need any of that stuff. you just got like, your opponents here and I'm here and we're both fighting today. Um, but the narrative just allows you to flesh it out more and give a bit more sort of cool stuff to to the world in which you're playing. And you, you mentioned competitive play, and I know Tyler, uh, Kyle, and I are all uh, love tournaments and see a, a, a bright competitive future for this game. I know Tyler is working on that. I'm going to be helping them. Kyle's a TO himself, and I know he's been a really advocate for promoting the game. Uh, sort of what we've been seeing in most of my playtest games with Kyle, um, I'm curious to hear your opinion, and then we'll round robin it to Tyler and Kyle, is we've been sort of doing 1,500 points on a 6 by 4 That sort of feels like the GT experience of still being able to finish the game in a couple hours or, or, you know, uh, uh, relatively quick, but but allowing you to have sort of the toys. What are your thoughts on sort of the the points level or or size of the game that that feels best to you? Or what do you think about that? Yeah, I think I think that's probably a a good sweet spot there. Fifteen hundred or six by four, because it gives you a bit more space. It gives you a bit more room. It's not cramped. Um, and 1,000, 1,250 on a 4x4 is a, is a good, tidy game. You know, it's it's a, a nice game. But you haven't quite got the room for your jet bikes and your flyers to go and 
really make a difference by sweeping across the board and stuff like that. Um, what I hope we can do with this game is I think it's pretty scalable, really. The only thing that's going to be the issue is the, is the more mo- units you put on, the more time the game takes, of course. So from a tournament point of view, you're absolutely right. I think you've got to find the, the sweet spot. I guess when we were designing it, I was thinking that probably four by four table, 12, 50 points would be where most people would want to play. And we sort of designed the game to be, a, I don't know what they're called now, but it used to be a, a mega army box. You know, you buy one mega army box, boom, that's your entire army. And apart from one or two other additions that you might want for sort of cool stuff, that would be that would be it. And that would play pretty nicely on a four by four. But I think as, you, as we're seeing, I think a lot of people are starting to move up to that six by four already. Because it doesn't take long to get the models done. It's not like a big commitment to a Kings of War army. You, know, you have to commit a year to a new Kings of War army, really, don't you? But a firefight army, and Tyler mentioned it before about doing his Forge Fathers, you can you can bang out a brand new firefight army. Most people will reasonably comfortably bang that out in a month or so, probably. Um, and so I think it, you know where it ends up and scale will will be determined by tournaments and. The real beauty of tournaments, really, from my point of view, is that they firstly find the the jinxiness. They take out the jinxiness. You know, the weird stuff that is there or maybe stuff no one picked it that often when we play tested and therefore, oh, hang on, that is a bit rubbish or a bit too good. Uh, and so you can adjust those things. Why is Kings of War such a slick game now? It's because it's been tournament played for so long. Um, the other beauty is it from having tournaments is that if you haven't got a huge player base, and I know this is a problem in the US because of distances, you can get four games done in a day, and that is scratched a very big itch for you then if you're not getting regular games. And the, the brilliant thing of tournaments is just getting out to play consistent games. And during the course of that day, you'll get better. Your results might not, but you'll get better at the game because you're playing more. And and that's fantastic, I think. If it becomes a tournament game, it would be fantastic. Yeah, I, I and call it gives that you like, a deadline, too. It gives you a deadline to have to finish that firefight <laughs> army, you know, within a month or whatever. Day. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Exactly. If what, people give me crap about how long I take to paint, but just thank the Lord that there's tournaments. If there wasn't tournaments in my life, I'd still be working on my undead army from 2015, you know? <laughs> so, I mean... Uh, yeah, I mean, tournaments are really the secret sauce of gaming and that for all the gaming elements that you say, and then also the other side of hanging out with your bros, you know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's really the secret sauce of the, the community. Well, what about you, uh, Tyler? Cause I know you, you guys were sort of, you had the first couple of firefight second edition, um, battle reports. And then from that, uh, that 1500 point and watching you, I was like, yeah, this feels just like the sweet spot. What do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, a couple things have already been touched on i, I think 1500 at six by four that's pretty much what I, that's all i've really played um but a few a few key points to what andy was saying is that uh if you guys were testing at 1250 on four by four um sorry andy this is america baby we do things bigger you guys <laughs> do 1995 home, tournaments we're doing 2300 <laughs> baby uh so a america uh b i just think that's that's the right amount of drops for a, a nice sized game where you do get to have the toys because i mean if you are doing a thousand points like you're really only squeezing in like one commander you probably only get one cool centerpiece model whereas at 1500 points you know you can have that mutant rat fiend you can have a tunneler in the same list where i you know and i feel like that's that's part of the draw to the game too is some of the visual elements of like i need to show off how cool this stuff is you know i want to have a a tank but also i need to have a squad of bikes you know i want to have 
options for that, but without it getting too bogged down. Um, that being said, I do want to try a 2000 point game. I just need to build up a couple more units to get there. Oh, geez. 2500 list right beside me now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that sounds like an absolute blast. And I don't think it would take more than what three hours tops. I mean, it's, no, yeah, definitely not. I don't think, especially not if, I'm not I play anyway. if, if I'm not filming it, I don't even know. I mean, my, my sense of time is all screwed up because most of the battles that I do are, are on camera. But if I'm just going back and forth with somebody and actually playing and not thinking about camera angles and stuff, uh, I think the game just clips right along. And I think, I think it's not unreasonable to start getting into the high two thousands of points. I think that you, sounds, you like think about camera awesome. angles. You're a pro. No, I don't think about camera angles. I just, <laughs> you know. You know, you know what I mean. That's what, like, you know, Tyler, I'd say, okay, guys, I'm going to have the show notes ready for the episode, blah, blah, blah. And Tyler's like, oh, Jeremy, you're so fancy. I was like, uh, <laughs> I was like this is countercharge, buddy. We, 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 we edit here. But, uh, <laughs> uh, what, what, Kyle, what do you think? Because I know you've done a lot of playtest games with you. I mean, you've been running a lot of demo games. Where, what are your thoughts at points, points wise? And then also, I'm curious today when you guys are play with Rashad, what points are you guys playing? Or tomorrow. Uh, yeah, so I've I've been demoing games at 1500 points. I haven't played a game below 1500 points since I started. And granted, I'm playing with people who have a knowledge in gaming. Like Rashad's obviously a very top tier player in Kings of War and been playing games for a long time. And my friends, people have been playing games with all my adult life. So it's I'm not I'm not teaching people who are brand new to gaming at 1500 points. Uh, but even then, it's it people fall right in. It, it's really easy to understand. Um, to look at a printout, like here's here's the stats, alternating activations, and because of that alternating activations, you you have time to kind of think. Like Kings of War can kind of be a, a bit of overload for a new person, even with experience, because it's like you got to move everything, and you got to move everything correctly and understand what your opponent's going to do on their turn because you have no way to react at that point. But yeah, firefight, you have to think about everything. You know, yeah. you have to think <laughs> about the left side and the right side at the same time. Whereas in firefight, it's like, eh, I'll get to the right side when it activates. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah. And if you make a you make a uh, a mistake in your activation, where you're like, ah, whatever. That's that's not a big deal. Uh, you know. And I love Kings of War because you do have to think so far ahead. And I play super slow dwarf army, so I have to think five turns ahead to maybe get an objective eventually. Uh, but <laughs> firefight's the other thing of just. You can still play it with a with a clock, which is nice. It's your opponent's doing doing all the rolls, but you're not. It, you, even though Kings of War turns go fast, you're still some people are. You're kind of sitting there for a bit. Your opponent go, goes through it. You're you're actively engaging your mind the entire time because when your opponent's playing, you're thinking of what do I activate next? What when, when this? If they do this, do I do that? And you kind of have that decision tree. You're constantly updating as you go through. So 1500 points is is easy for me to teach and, and I taught people. So I'm definitely looking eventually once people in the area get up to speed on the game, start starting 2000 points and see where that goes from there. And, I, and I'm really curious was once we have all the rules down and everyone's like, you know, a quote unquote, a tournament player, as far as we don't have to look, check the book pretty much for anything, how fast a 2000 point game would go. Cause if we, if we can get it down to an hour and five minutes per person on the clock, that's a Kings of war tournament. And that's 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 a well known variable. It's it's really easy to do. Um, and what we're sitting there points, we're two thousand points. Everyone wants to play with more stuff, right? <laughs> I like more models on the table, more things, um, and things in firefight die fast, which is is a thing I appreciate. That is very true. Like you said, things just die. 
I mean, the, the, the slowest part of the game is in the first turn, right? When all your stuff's alive. Once people start shooting at you with Molnir missile launchers, I've discovered your stuff <laughs> dies very quickly. So the Star Dragon was smart in that day when they granted those uh, that, that missile launcher is crazy good. Uh, dwarf technology is best technology, and don't you yeah. forget it. Uh, I know. Uh, I've learned, I've learned this lesson. Unless you're Hal on Way to Fire and you can't hit a single missile launcher all game. He's yeah, he's the British Tim. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the trick to having a YouTube channel. So you just have to have somebody who has terrible dice and then you play against them all the time. And then you, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So think you know the game really well. I told Kyle, I discovered at, at Refugees of the Old World uh, how to play Dead Zone super fast, which is you just roll eights. Yeah. So I've attempted to bring that into firefight, but as Kyle can attest to, that's not been the that's not been yeah. the situation so far. It's because you're, playing on, it's you're yeah. playing on tabletop simulator, Jeremy. Once you get your actual dice hitting the table, you'll be you'll be an eight. Once I can get yeah, once I can get those dice into these soft soft hands, you know, then we'll be we'll be good to go. I don't know if you can or cannot talk about this, but just future. What's what's the idea going forward on updates? Is it going to be kind of a Clash of Kings style thing? I really love how you guys split the books like you did with Dead Zone. There's a force list and a regular army list. Makes it much easier to kind of keep things up to date in one book. But is it? are you going to be doing... Uh, I know the FAQ is being cooked by you guys right now. But would there be adjustments for points and stuff like that? As Because it's gone to the population and there's some things that are pretty good. Some things that aren't quite as good. It just kind of get that fine-tuned dial. Or are you going to keep those point changes and stuff in armies for the next release is it going to be expansion books is going to be more of a release. what's the you have any anything you could talk about with that is as you say there's an faq and a, and a rata sort of we actually just met uh just a few days ago to to finalize that so that should be coming out soonish um and we've tried to really just concentrate on the the main issues um obviously it's been a lot of any new game and although we say this is firefight second edition it really is a, a first edition really it, it's so different from the original firefight we certainly kept some elements particularly things like orders and stuff but um it is it plays very very differently so there are a few things that people are bringing across from other game systems oh this should work like this well not not necessarily um so we want to clarify those things now while the game's still new um um, but we are we aren't going to rebalance anything just yet. I think because the game is so new, we don't really want to sort of say that. Well, you know, repoint things or anything like that because there's so many people that have still got the game and haven't really had a chance to play that many games. And I think we just need it all just to settle and and sort of come out in the mix for a little bit longer. And yeah, we've had one or two smallish tournaments, but all the tournaments so far have been sort of builder tournaments, you know, sort of helping players to to learn the game, really. Uh, and I think we need a little bit longer to see what's coming out in the meta as the things that people are taking or not taking. Uh, and then I think, the, as far as I'm aware, the plan is to do very much what we, we do with uh, Kings of War, of course, which is to, and that's the beauty of having separated the books like this, that we can bring a new force list effectively, change up the rules without without sort of without um, invalidating someone's existing rule set. So you can effectively replace the force list if you want with new models as they come up. And there are some planned. We've started to see some hit the shelves recently, but there are some more in the in the planning. And I think that will be the opportunity to do interesting things, either with 
points or possibly with other sort of ideas as to how to make uh, factions or parts within a faction play differently than they might do in the sort of vanilla list or something like that. So that hasn't been quite fixed yet as to when anything like that's happening. Mantic need to sort of review, I think, what the sales have been like and decide whether you know the game is going in a the direction they want. But everything I've heard from the community and from Mantic so far has been positive. It certainly seems to be uh, sort of selling well. They've run out of the original number of two-player starter sets. They ran out of the original number of command dice. So, you know, whenever they run out of stuff and then have to... That's a good sign, of, right? I mean, I know we've had, yeah. we've had one of the bigger one of the bigger uh, retailers here uh, in the U.S. ran out of that special bundle that came with the two flyers. Yeah. So I know that the, the just buy models, right? But I think that the proof is in the pudding where in the beginning, I watched Tyler's battle report on Dead Zone like three times because I'm a like a, a content glutton. And then now it's like, oh, okay, these guys are starting to do firefight here. We're starting to do I'm, it's starting to more stuff is showing up in my feed. And just you feel like a, as a gamer, you feel sort of like a, an energy in the community. And I feel like firefight is beginning to build that momentum yeah. where uh, I'm starting to hear about it more and more and more, you know? Yeah. And what's been really nice to see is um, obviously, you know, Tyler and I have been putting out Dead Zone content for quite a while, but there there isn't a lot of people doing that, really. Um, But with Firefight, particularly with the release, we've seen quite a lot of new YouTubers pick it up and talk about it. I mean, there were some German guys just today going through the um, core set and stuff, and, and it's breaking into other communities and exposing it more, which is going to really make the game grow so it's not just those who play dead zone or kings of war it's actually bringing in people from outside and i think that's the real potential and that that you don't want to you don't want to change things too soon so that people coming in or automatically you know within the first year or so are then almost out of date if they haven't gone to the faq because we do know that people don't always even if you're playing a game regularly but you're playing it with one friend or you're in your family or something people aren't always keeping up with the faqs and stuff like that and so you don't want people to have a game that they are sort of out of sync if they then go to an event or not majorly out of sync anyway. But sort of what I'm here, kind of what I'm taking away is that you can kind of imagine a similar product lifestyle for Firefight based on its popularity with new models coming out or updates or new factions. I know there's still some dead zone factions, right? That we don't, as we get ready here in a second to talk about firefight factions, there's still some dead zone factions, right? That we don't have firefight lists for. Is that something? Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Is that something maybe, you know, uh, in the future, depending on stuff, we might see like a Maison labs list or a nameless list or something like that for firefight. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, um, it's something that is um, clearly an easy sort of win is to take those that currently exist in Dead Zone and move them into a, a larger scale game. Um, one, interestingly, one of the sort of issues, I guess, around that is not so much the desire to do it, it's more the production. Because once you move from, you know, a, a game that requires, say, 20 models max, um, you can make those 20 models in any material you want, really you know, resin, PVC, hard plastic, whatever you want to make them in. But if you come into a firefight scale where you've got to put down somewhere between, let's say, 40 to 100 models, depending on the type of 
faction plus you've got the option of vehicles then you you start sort of going okay well have you got hard plastic sprues that do the troops the sort of core stuff because if you don't have that you can't really do it all in in pvc and things like that so that becomes an issue for mantic as to sort of how do we make the game scalable and how do we make the stock available that we can keep it on the shelves because if you look at some of the dead zone stuff particularly the pvc stuff it's it's in and out again of stock very, very quickly because it all has to be made in China and shipped over and they just can't sort of keep it the way it's been produced previously, particularly for things like board games like Star Saga. They can't produce it in the same sort of way for um, a tabletop game. So I, I think that will be the issue. And that com- it comes back to the confidence that Mantic have again in how well the game's doing. And if the game's doing well, then... Hopefully they'll invest in a new product because we mentioned before that, you know, we all like toys as well. And seven factions is a good number, but people always want something cool and new each time. So I you know, if people are playing nameless Goliaths on the table at the same time, that's what needs to happen. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And like for people who don't Amazon is an easy one, of course, because you know yeah. pretty much everything is there. So I think you know it's probably quite likely that you'll see Maison at some point because why wouldn't you? We've got all the play, we've got the GCPS, and they're kind of cool, aren't they, in their own way? Is that just a box thing then with Maison, or would they just hear, you know basically making it just different tab in the um, website? I, I think probably the way I've seen it now is that they'd probably repackage and stuff like that and make it. Okay. So that, that Mantic have been moving to make it easier for people to buy the stuff because we have had for a while you know stuff that's in stuff that you can use in kings of war that's also in vanguard will be in one or the other on their website and stuff oh, like and that. it's and, very and difficult it's, to purchase some yeah exactly and, and you're just making it harder for your customer then so they've been moving away from that and trying to be better i think in the last few years and um i think they would probably i'm just guessing but i think they would probably package a, a set for you to or, or a page on the website that had them both the things that you wanted in it so you can just find it more easily and that would be one critique i'd i'd get i have and i've given to them you know in the past is you know i need a unit for my kings of war army but the only way you can buy it is in this mega army you know sell them yeah. i want to give you my money i'm ready to give you my money i got paypal it's t- tuned up or it's ready to go but it's like i don't there's no option to buy it so i'm hoping as they you know learn as a company they'll figure out a way to make it easier for us as consumers to buy what we want to buy from them yeah and i think they're also trying to make it easier not just buying direct as well but buying from um your friendly local gaming store as well you know the way they've repackaged stuff for for the new edition of dead zone particularly but also for firefight does make that much easier for the for the stores to stock it and and shift it as well rather than having things with multiple parts in the same box that then well, people want some of it, but they don't want to buy the whole box and stuff like that, which used to be a problem previously. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And on the other side, we're going to talk firefight factions. We'll be right back. I'm Ronnie from Mantic Games, and you're listening to Counter Charge. Hey, this is Luke from Luke's APS listening to Counter Charge. And we are back. Okay, so now I've been hearing, you know, a lot of people in the in the community now are, are you know, we've talked about it, are, are some dead zone players transitioning to firefight who maybe already know a little bit about the, the fire firefight factions. But I think there's a lot of people also who are looking at firefight for the first time and are trying to sort of find snippets about where do I even begin faction-wise. So what we're going to do uh, for this uh section of the show is we're going to talk about each of the seven main firefight factions and we're going to do a quick sort of round table looking at 
good, what's good about the faction, bad, maybe what's something they don't quite do as well. And then also what are some of the standout models from that, from that faction or models that we love. Um, so let's start. We're just going to go in the same order that they are in the Force book. So let's start with Asterians. Um, what do we think about Asterians? What's what's good? Uh, what just jumps out off the page as far as uh, how Asterians are meant to play? Puny space elves, but they can they can shoot like anything. It's shooting, you know. If you're running uh, standard Asterians, so the ciphers and even the marionettes for that matter, you know, you're you're about putting down volumes of highly accurate shooting um to take it out so i think that that's one of the sort of key ones and then the other sort of really important play mechanic with them is shields so how they use shields so they are puny so to keep them alive they they use shields so you might find that you're using a lot of your command points just to keep your shields up um and your opponent will get frustrated trying to knock them down and then has to then sort of try again to get the hits in before the shields are boosted up and things like that. So a bit of yin and yang of sort of trying to keep your shield balance right, which I think, you know, we tried when we designed them to try and make them feel different. And I think the Asterians, they feel very different from any of the other factions. And it's that sort of idea of the balance, the way that they are uh, in their fluff, this called balance fits very nicely with their sort of high fire output, but also their defensive shields and stuff like that. So, I think I think that's the key thing for them. There are other things in the list that that will play very differently, but from a theme point of view, it's high quality shooting and shields. And don't don't forget, a lot of them are constructs. Almost everything is a construct, so you're not getting pinned. That is massive. Like faction wide, almost everything ignores getting pinned. It's it's crazy. And when it ties back to your orders and stuff, you can't use an order if you're pinned. So if you can't be pinned. That gives you that freedom then to use your orders uh, a bit more sort of aggressively. And you know, they're the only faction that has three orders that can be boosted for that same reason. You know, that they are sort of technologically and advanced and stuff like that. So they can they can do a lot more with their uh, with their command points, perhaps, than some of the other factions can. And I think that's uh, both a good and bad aspect for them. Is I think their command orders is really where the where the the uh, uh, the, the the sauce is, but that they're difficult, right? Because outside of the one command order that overcharges or that charges the no rifle, all their commands are about shield shield mitigate or shield manipulation or movement manipulation like teleport being able to charge behind buildings it's all like support command orders which can be so powerful once you have them down but if you don't know how to use them i could see this also being a tough a tough army to play for someone who's never really played a miniature game before that that might yeah. also be a uh, 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 maybe like a little bit harder to learn, but a higher skill cap army that once you get really good at using all those commands. I, I think that's probably right. And that's how they play in dead zone as well. Actually, they're not your, they're not your um, beginner army in dead zone. They are very good, but they're, you have to use them in the right way. And I think you're absolutely right. If you, if you neglect your shields, for instance, you'll be gone by turn two, because if you don't deal with that, um, none of them have got enough shields to stay in the game forever. You know, people will just get rid of them. Um, yeah, I think you're totally right, Jeremy. Uh, for me, going off a point Andy made earlier is they're probably the most divergent play style of all the factions in the game. 
like the the way you play them and you play against them is different than anybody else because of that shield mechanic. You really have to get a, when you're playing against Hysterians, your activation order has is now just not am I killing this or that? It's I need to strip the shields and then get to the juicy insides. Yeah, and <laughs> it's it's way different. And when you play it too, like you know, Jeremy's well, the couple games I played with him, he has his uh his fourth platform. He's like, oh, this is a tank. I'm gonna go four with it, but it's. It doesn't have the armor or even it, it, it's armor six with no heavy armor. So once the shields are down, it's dead. And he's lost it twice now in the first the first round. He's like, tank forward. Yay. And he's, oh. <laughs> 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 so like, you know, your bigger your bigger stuff is actually kind of like your uh, your weaker stuff in a way that you have to protect it by keeping range so people can't get through your shields. Like, you know, that that Spectre Force platform with its fission beamer just needs to sit in the back. And get its points back every round by picking stuff off, because nothing nothing else has enough firepower, long range, enough dice, long range to get through those shields, and you can kind of just sit there and be annoying uh, while your infantry go forward and just absorb all the shots for you. So it's it's just a, it's an interesting, different playstyle for you and your opponent to play against. Yeah, I think and I think in a tournament it'll be interesting, wouldn't it? Because you may well bring things with things like pinning and stuff like that, or things that have got anti tank uh, but not many dice. And actually, against Asterians, that may not be what you want because, like you say, you've got to strip the shields and the pinning won't work. So, you know, it's that double tap of like, oh, I'll use my boring infantry unit to strip the shields down, but I've got to have the big anti-tank weapon to then, once those shields are down, because he's only got a couple of dice, there he's the one who takes out the vehicle. Because if I do it the wrong way around, that's a complete waste. You know, you haven't done it in an economical way. Yeah, I mean that's really what stands out to me is that it's a it's a, a a high skill cap army where there's lots of tools that you can use. Given like, okay, here's my situation. What do I have to do? Okay, I'm I'm gonna teleport. I'm gonna hide my spectra. I'm gonna teleport him out. He's gonna attack, and then I'm gonna use my uh, overseer to re- replenish his shields. And then this, it's a lot of moving parts, yeah. which once you once you master can be really difficult but like kyle said i was like oh i got my chroma it looks so cool i'm gonna kind of move it out oh, it's dead and i was <laughs> like i was like oh shucks that that didn't work well so i mean it's it's just not a forgiving army but um no cool. it's interesting you said about the teleport as well because i i think that's one of the most underrated orders there is at the minute i think that's proper nasty oh, it yeah. is right Amazing North terrain that's massive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Massive. I'm just gonna drop these cipher wardens onto your unit that didn't think it could be seen or reached or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it, I think that's, that's the only thing in the game that just guarantees a clean charge, right? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Apart from you know, a, a direct clean charge, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. nothing else, yeah. Would, yeah. Uh, yeah. And Veerman, don't Veerman have an order which they, yeah, they, I was gonna say, oh, yeah, they yeah. Do, yeah. Mm-hmm. of course they do because of Veerman. Oh yeah, nasty. Uh, Andy's favorite. Nasty. We'll, we'll get there. Eventually. Rats, whatever. But, like I had a game where I was hiding my Spectra Blade Master behind a building, and then it teleported out and like chopped one of Kyle's mules in half with its like <laughs> laser sword. And then it was just like it just it was really cool. But again, I've in playing the Asterians, I found it, it's very it's a lot mentally to to you have to be thinking about a lot. So maybe a great second army, or if you just really dig that sort of play style. It would be yeah. a good choice for you. Um, Model-wise, um, I've already said it here. Uh, the Spectras are amazing. Um, one of my favorite models. What else stands out for you guys model-wise from Asterians? I really like the tank. The the Chroma slash Kira, Chira, whatever you want to say. 
I think it's a really cool design, and I want to see more. There's like, there's another picture in one of the rule books that teases it like a different shaped flyer, and I, I kind of wanted that really bad. I, I think it's just a really neat design, and it's really big. If you haven't seen one in person, it's like a lot bigger than you think it is. Like this tank is massive, and I think it's it looks really cool on the table. I'm, I'm a big fan of the marionettes. I think they're a really smart and versatile sprue that looks very sort of kind of cool because it's a troop one you can you can have an army full of them which is, you know just looks brilliant i think i i'm not a fan of the kalishi at all i think they play brilliantly but i think the models are oh god yeah no nope. definitely definitely not the best uh so metal so well even yeah. the resin ones but then they're just fragile then so uh yeah it's a shame they're so good yeah. yeah, and theme-wise, I love them. The fact that they're like uh, actor troops or performance troops out in the world, but they're actually gathering intel. You know, I love the, some of the the fluff behind Kalishi. But um, now, a question: Are Kalishi actually Asterians? Is that like what an Asterian like yeah. looks like? Is a Kalishi? Yeah, they're buff okay. ones, perhaps. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're like the warrior class. Um, Got it. Between them and like your overseer, that's what Mysterian actually looks like. Yeah, because your your Mysterian army actually doesn't have almost all of it are robots constructs. Or, uh, yeah, yeah, constructs. So the only yeah. sort of humanoid sort of creatures on the table is your overseer and your Kalishi, really, isn't it? And I like the idea, like your marionettes, you have a group being controlled by one person, but like the black talons, it's it's a one v one, right? Where it's yeah. one Asterian controlling one black talon, like these are the more like higher performing ones. Mm -hmm. That's what I like about the Asterians. It's not like they're constructs, you know, robots in the field, but it's not just like automatons. They're too busy to not even bother controlling the stuff. Like they're actually physically controlling all these robots in the field and it's like oh do you want to play world of warcraft you know and control a group or are you going to be the pvp player who's you know shooting people up it's i, I like that aspect of it like, they're still involved in the war and they're they're basically wearing the suits uh so it's not just like they're not the super aloof elves who don't care about anything but uh, you know they don't care enough to come down to the planet okay awesome let's talk enforcers so what is good for enforcers a la besides just uh persecutor bombers that kill everything that tyler brings to the table so what else what else is good about enforcers what's not good about enforcers enforcers are like so good at everything they're ridiculously deadly super efficient their orders are really really good for either staying alive or just deleting things off the table uh for my money i think enforcers are definitely one of the strongest lists out there i think it's a very well balanced game so it's not like nothing can be beat or anything I just think that they have such good options and they're just really efficient basically across the board at everything. Yeah, I think yeah. The, their command uh, staff and orders is the best of all the factions. They have every almost every one of their commanders is great order, good dice, and you know viable in combat and stuff like that too. So it's just uh, everything you want and not being too overpriced or anything like that. Uh, the you know it's just and you know cool models who doesn't like iron man super soldiers running around punching the bad people who don't want to pay uh their sales tax <laughs> i think that i think they are really good and i think they're really good even without spending your points on your orders you know they're, they're pretty they're pretty solid particularly for shooting just as your your sort of stock um i guess where they where they're down side is and where you know tyler said it you know it could be beaten it depends on the scenario if the scenario is just a straight up fight then they're going to be 
really, really A-plus guys. If it's something where you need to do more, move around more, then you're eating into what they do best by taking away some of their options for shooting or um, or making them get closer to the enemy than perhaps they want to do, so they're more then susceptible to the to people fighting because they are very they stick around a lot but the units are relatively small compared to some other armies and whilst they've got good armor and they've got a lot of buffs on things like resilience so allowing you to re-roll saves you can once you fail a dice roll you don't roll it again so it doesn't matter if you've got resilient 10 you're only rolling that dice of you know maximum of twice so once you start getting into them um they will fall away pretty quickly. And then you get loads and loads of units of one and two men running around and they're, they're not doing anything at that point or nothing particularly meaningful. So they are a grind to get through for sure. Um, but I think they, um, they, they can definitely be dealt with. Um, but yeah, they're, they're definitely on that sort of level of, if you were going to bring a beginner in, I think they'd be a good one to start with because you can't really go wrong that with them. I don't think, you know, they do what they say on the tin. That's yeah, that's very, what kind of makes sense. That's a very English topical reference there. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's, they seem like a very uh, uh, user-friendly first army, both model count, right? Your model count's going to be a little yeah. lower, so less the plate. And all your stuff's pretty good, right? It's, uh, you know, so you know that pretty much all your basic troops, there's no, uh, you're, not, you're not trying to think about combos or crazy stuff. But with any elite forces, if you have bad ice variants go against you, that can be really tough, like you say. If your person, your opponent, just goes off and kills one or two units early, you don't have a lot of resources to to come back from that. But it definitely seems like a a really solid use a uh, uh, new player user friendly army. I would say the the one thing I noticed that they're deficient in is assault. Yeah, they have the the one assault enforcer squad that hits on fours. Everything else is hitting on fives in assault, and they're relatively low AP, low dice, like, you know, compared to Marauders or some other factions, even Forge Fathers, they have the Thorgrim with hitting on threes in close combat. Like the, the, it's, you can't really build a good assault focused um, enforcer army. I don't think, you know, you, you, and assault's really important in this game. I've learned like you need to have some assault uh, elements, your army to take care of things just do, to push dice through or, or deal on objectives and the enforcers. I, I think that's their one lacking thing is they don't have a good, solid and assault uh, force they can bring around yeah carl i think you're right i think assault is really strong and i think they need to watch for that because once people start assaulting them it's the it's the double whammy of not just losing models but you lose your activation you get pinned all those other things that you don't want to to do and so if you're charging a unit that um say you're charging a unit that hasn't yet activated that, that act, you're banking on that unit firing all its eight models with two dice each that impact on losing that unit from the game is huge for you, much more than it is losing a unit of GCPS of you know, eight grunts or something like that, because it's worth so many more, so much more action in your in your turn. So, but you need to be careful with assault because they've got they've got coordinated fire most a lot of them, so they're quite able to deal with stuff even when it comes into the assault. So they might not do much in the punchiness, but if they can take out a couple of models on the way in, then they will count towards the combat resolution. And so they're not a complete walkover, but um, they will get they will get nervous when people get too close for sure. And their bomber has to be probably one of the best flyers in the game, wouldn't you say? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The bomb is a, a beast. As, um, it should be. As it should be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm saying that not in a bad way. I'm always of the thing is like things, it's okay in miniature games for things to be good. Like it's always when you're when you're always like it's the other side of well this we gotta you know we gotta balance 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 and balance is important but you want to bring stuff that feels impactful and does things but it's not and, it's not like it's undealable you know it's like yeah. you can't it's not like you can't uh, you just have to dedicate something when you're list building to think about oh what how, do I how am go I going to deal with flyers? a persecutor bomber yeah, yeah you yeah. you need to consider that at least a little bit uh, okay. because. Otherwise, it'll just run rough. And I think that your in your game, course. in your game, Tyler, you would admit that you probably in that game didn't really didn't really have anything to deal with his bomber, so it felt even more bad. Yeah, but that's part of nothing. learning the game. That's exactly. Part of learning the game. So, exactly. And I think uh, I think we didn't talk about that. In, we didn't talk about it in the design bit, but I, that was a key sort of element of what we wanted the game to do. We wanted weapons that do particular things to do particular things. You know, some games have gone. To just like you throw enough small arms at a tank and it blows up eventually well it doesn't really happen in real life now that tank will probably go away they no tanker likes hearing things ping off his metal but um and no flyer likes anything coming towards him so we try to sort of capture that within the game that, that the way that the flyers will go away or, or find it harder to activate the next turn if they take um any damage um, so we wanted things like anti-tank and anti-aircraft to be specific things that did things, not just firing a whole bunch of, you know, um, you know, AK-47s at a uh, at a flyer and expecting to take him out of the sky because that would be that just doesn't happen in in modern warfare. So why would it happen in the future? Um, and so there are definitely ways of mitigating for it, which are which are easier in certain builds. So plague will find that more difficult because. Of, have less range stuff whereas something like the asterians or even gcps they got a metric ton of different um types of weaponry to deal with these things so your flyer you might end up spending half your time worrying about where your flyer is rather than doing stuff with your flyer so you can fall into that sort of trap i've got to keep the flyer i've got to keep my flyer alive but well if your flyer is not doing anything then your opponent is quite happy with that really so it's that sort of again that balancing of trying to make sure that the stuff you bring to the table is getting doing what you want it to do and also that your opponent is trying to sort of prevent you doing what you want it to do. And one last thing about enforcers just in general is I know that we talked them up like they're really good at everything. I will say the one thing that they are a little bit low on other than the close combat thing is they don't have a ton of really, really high AP stuff. Mm -hmm. So if there's like a lot of heavy armor you're going against, uh, they can, they have to get a little crafty with how they do it other than the, uh, the heavy missile launcher team guys. Other than that, it's like, there's not a ton of really high, you know, super armor penetrating stuff outside of like Striders. Yeah, yeah Striders. That's true. Yeah. But then he can't one shot many things. He he hasn't got enough dice to one shot stuff. So it's like you have to work at it still. That's why you take three. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love them. Striders wandering around. Twenty five hundred points, baby. Put it all in there. <laughs> And model wise, you know, I already mentioned. I think both. I think the the flyer for enforcers is beautiful. I love that. But um, what else stands out to you guys, model wise, that you like out of the enforcer range? I'm a huge fan of the jet bikes. I think the jet bikes look jet so bikes. slick. They look exactly how you want them to. They look extremely fast. They look kind of Star Warsy, but still very much firefight warpathy. Like, I really like the jet bikes. I like My, the Pathfinders. I think there's a really interesting sprue 
really sort of versatile sprue as well. I think they're really good. Yeah, I'll put a I'll put a third on there for the jet bikes because they're awesome. But I love the peacekeepers, big big hulking dudes with double guns just walking over is uh, is my bag, baby. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, they really do benefit from having three hard plastic sprues, which is more than any of the other factions. Absolutely, I, I do like the peacekeeper with the phase claws. I think that that is a dope oh, ball. He's, he's great, uh, and um, when when we get the rest of them for the so that you can build units of them, that's going to be going to be immense. Okay, well, next on our list we have uh, the Forge Fathers, the the, the space dwarves. Um, what do we think about these guys? I know Kyle, you've been playing. This is your main army. Uh, why don't uh, you start us start us off on Forge Fathers? Uh, best faction in the game. Don't bother playing any other faction. Uh, dwarves are cool. <laughs> Space dwarves are cooler. Space dwarves who've claimed the entire galaxy as their own and cracked planets for fun are best dwarves. Uh, <laughs> they, I, I do love the fact that they just claim stuff. They don't care who's theirs. Well, it's clearly ours. Well, yeah, their their god made it, and their god's like, hey, like I left presents for you, like Easter egg hunt. Let's go, guys. And <laughs> and you'd be pissed off, too, if people showed up to your Easter egg hunt and started taking your stuff. So It might take you know. a while to get through all the Easter eggs, but dang hey, it, you're going to try. <laughs> dwarves are all about that, all right? We take our time. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the dwarves are like, it's it's a toolbox army you have a, a really good unit for like every aspect of the game steel warriors are uh, along with gcps basic troops only only basic troops in the game that can take two special weapon but their special weapons are great you know hailstorm auto cannon two shots ap1 pinning uh the missile launcher is just bonkers it's ap4 anti-air anti-tank 36 inch range two dice and you're, you're on a fours and yet the four fours have that great order for way to fire two marksmen. So it's rare that your missiles are missing uh, unless you're a bad player. <laughs> um, so they have a great, you know, standard unit. Um, and then they have a lot of specialist stuff. So they have the Thorgrim or close combat guys at the Rikers, for, you know, flamer squad. Um, you have the uh, Brockers, so you, you really can kind of go, which, you know, do you want to go cheaper assault units? Do you want to go shooting guys? They, they suffer a bit in their command, I'd say. They have a lot of just single black dice dudes who have very limited orders for it's like only these certain units get a benefit off it or, um, you know, it, it's not the best orders in the world. So I think that's kind of one of their negative things. But as far as... Their faction orders, I think they have the the most versatile three faction orders in the game. They have a great assault one. They have a great shooting one. And then I'm blanking right now on the other one they have. <laughs> oh, they the double dice. So they can double their dice as well. So um, you have a lot of great faction orders to give. So, you know, not having the best leader or as an order isn't the worst thing in the world. And you'll get enough dice to do what you want to do. Uh, they have the best tanks in the game. As far as resilience, uh, I, I love the Iron Ancestor. You know, I'm still, it's one of those things where I don't know if uh, if they're the best walker in the game or just, you know, price point wise, but I take two every time. Like, <laughs> I take a regular one, I take a Doom uh, Doomstorm one, uh, Health, I'm sorry, Health Thermal one, because though it just looks cool. It's awesome. It's, and it's, I like it just, uh, I, I know that I think the fluffs changed because originally it was, the older dwarves who weren't quite as mobile anymore. It's like, well, you're, you're pretty smart dude. And you still have your eyesight. So jump in this cool, you know, walking tank for us. But I think now in the new fluff, that's just kind of like the preferred people of the forge Lord get to walk around the iron ancestors. Um, either way, they're awesome. 
and uh you know dwarf stuff i don't know i can i can go on forever for this i won't, I won't take everyone's time <laughs> yeah I think, I think generally speaking you're talking high armor high ap low dice but pretty darn good at all the things and then like you said you can get more specialized i think their biggest downside as a faction is that they are so expensive like a list fills up so quickly when you're writing a list for forge fathers it's like you pick six things and you're like ah, i'm at a thousand points already <laughs> like it, it it goes really quick when you're trying to build the stuff because it's all so tempting to take because it's all so good at what it does and then i guess one slight other negative would be speed you know they are dwarves a lot of their stuff moves at the same rate but then there's a few things on their list that is uh slower like their super heavy tanks are super awesome and super heavy but man they are pretty slow you'd, you'd be surprised how how like the instead of moving like a six twelve versus like a six nine, like how much that three inches can affect, you know, getting to where you need to go. But just overall, I think they're a really fun faction. And one of my favorite things about the differentiation between the factions is how they do similar things, but differently. So I think Forge Fathers are very hardy and very resilient without using the resilient keyword, really, and just using high armor and just like saying, bring it. Whereas something like Marauders, which we'll get to in a second, like Marauders, on the other hand, rely on that resilient keyword. So it's like a different form of toughness. And I think it's really neat how, you know, Forge Fathers just, you know, it, what, what what it says is what you get. It's high armor. It punches through things and it's it's great. I, th- I think you're right there about um, Tyler, about Forge Fathers, that they're spoiled for choice really on the toys that they can bring. So they, they don't have masses of sort of troop options. But when you get into the specialist and support options, they are just so many things. And you want to take them all. You want to take all the toys. <laughs> it's because they're Ronnie's favorite. <laughs> oh, excuse my cough. Yeah, and, and you just can't. And, and that's obviously, uh, that then leads you sort of down this route of sort of, oh, what do I, what do I bring? What do I bring? And, and you can build their list in so many different ways because of what you bring in those support options. You know, you can go heavy Brocker with the, the new artificers and juggernauts and stuff like that, or you can have artillery, you can have iron answers, you can have great big huge tanks. You can even go fast with the Valkyrs and stuff like that. You know, it's huge, or the drop sh- or the Hammerfist uh, drop troops who can, to- you might think that the, the dwarves are slow, but when you've got an aerial deployment option in your army, and not all armies have this, then suddenly you've got something that can really change up how the the game plays um, because you come and disrupt what your opponent was thinking you could do. Um, so, yeah, I think they're, again, they're probably not the easiest one for that point of view because your, your drops are going to be a little bit lower. But they have some quite cool stuff. You know, headstrong, you can't rely on it, but actually it can make a big difference, particularly if you don't have masses of command points and things like that. Uh, so I think they're, they're definitely a cool one. I can see why Carl's... Um, cars attracted to them because i i go back to them and pick them up pretty often to be honest try and put them on the table the models are cool i mean i built this army before i even started playing firefight just you know i kept building it even after my friend group we like we you know kind of went by the wayside i'm like i'm I, these all, these models are awesome like i'm still i'm still building yeah. dwarves damn it <laughs> they're very dwarfy aren't they they're very dwarfy sort of science fiction models. yeah but it, yeah it's not like cartoonish either it's like no this is what a space dwarf would look like yeah like they have cool powered armor you know like you know it's awesome not crazy helmets. ostentation yeah awesome helmets i love yeah. the helmets <laughs> and like you said you have your uh 
your regular troops, but you mentioned like, and it's one of my favorite models as we talk about models that we like, which is the hammer fist drop guys, which is like dwarves and super heavy armor dropping down with like inferno drill lasers and like drill <laughs> lasering you to death. It's and great. Kyle used these guys on me, and then you use the order, the the you know the the frenzy combat order, and all of a sudden these guys are just like killed killed like sixty percent of my army, just yeah. like mowing <laughs> yeah. through them. Yeah, I basically double turned, Jeremy. I had uh, I knew I was going to activate first the next round, so the last thing I did was drop them down where a bunch of his stuff was already activated, so he couldn't react. Laser drilled something, and next turn I'm like, ah, does but a scratch, boost it, <laughs> punch people in the face, go <laughs> deal with this problem. <laughs> but other than uh, what other I mean, you mentioned the Iron Ancestor, but I I think they have. There's just this range to me up and down. I feel is the most. I like everything in it. You know, maybe there's not maybe one thing that stands out to me, but just from like st- from top down, every choice in this is a solid quality model. But what do you guys think, model wise? I mean, I have four thousand five hundred points of these guys. I love the way they look. <laughs> I mean, all of them are so cool. Uh, recently, the one that's on my painting table right now is the uh, the new Artificer Juggernaut. Yeah, uh, that model's cool model. super cool. I really like it, and I magnetize the options so I can switch it between the flamer and the drill and the yep. hammer and the yeah, uh, super cool model. Just want to give that one a shout out. But as as a as a whole, this is definitely one of my favorite ranges in all of Mantic. It's so good. I'm a big also, fan of the uh, the halter half track as well. I think it doesn't get quite the airtime as the uh, as the tanks do, but as a as a model, it looks. Brilliant. I love it. It's really cute. It's really sort of dwarfy. It's yeah, I love that one. That's it's funny you mentioned that because that's the only model like I don't love in this army. Like <laughs> and it's like and the forge fires are spoiled for specialist choice. So it's and it, it never makes a list, but it's just I keep looking at it, it's like this makes sense. This fits the army. It looks as it should. Like if you make a, a dwarf space half track, yeah. And it's just like I, I don't know what it is. I can't. I can't. This is the only model I don't fall in love with. It's one of the few <laughs> models I don't own, which makes me sad because I, I like it. It doesn't put out as much uh, stuff as other support options, so that's why you're not picking it, isn't it? Yeah. But I kind of want to like make an army of just like a shit ton of half tracks. You know? well, yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that's something you can do in a lot of these armies is that you can, yeah. because tra- you know, transports or troops, you can actually pretty much run a fully mechanized list if you want to. I don't think it'd be that good you know for gameplay but if you wanted to do that sort of yeah i'm going to get all my tanks on the table today you can do that in a forge father list or maybe just to flood the board with brockers on foot and there's half tracks just (laughs) human (laughs) wave just wait for my uh, when we're going to cover here in a second when we get to gcps just wait for my monocycle list that i bring with my stereo that has the the music from uh Wizard of Oz. The terrifying second one with the uh, with the wheels that they hold in their hands. Uh huh. Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh man, shocking. that movie is dark, terrifying. man. With the pumpkin head guy. Yeah, the second Wizard yeah, yeah, of Oz yeah. movie is freaking dark. Well, awesome. Um, okay, so next on our list, we just said it here is the GCPS. The uh, 
global something prosperity sphere. What is it? What's the Galactic. global co-prosperity sphere? Galactic. Galactic. Global. Come on. Uh, yeah, Galactic. Big, Jeremy screwed me up. I, I knew it. I screwed up. He screwed me up. Oh my god. Guys, we're all learning. We're all we're on this on this journey of learning together. We're growing. We're evolving. We're changing. We're not hugging, the buck. This you know? is your fault. Not to be confused with the GCPD, the Gotham City Police yeah, Department. Police Department. <laughs> don't don't confuse these two. I just love uh, before we get into this. To me, this is one of the faction things which I just absolutely love. Which is like in the far future. I imagine like this is like Amazon's high spec troopers you know that come after you if you don't want to like pay pay your sales tax like you said it's like i just love the sort of not just the dark gothic future but the idea of like what would a, a super hyper capitalistic future look like and then here we go and i just always think of uh colonial marines from alien aliens right when i think of gcps of yeah. uh you know modern warfare or, or that sort of feel it's not just like uh, uh imperial guard troops to the fought you know troop just like fodder to the meat grinder um, but what are your guys' thoughts on GCPS? My my head always goes a little bit towards like Halo, because uh, that's kind of what I grew up with. This the Halo Marines and GCPS just feel like just right at home together. They're a little bit more personal than like the Enforcers, you know, a little less super, which is kind of their charm. And then you can just really bring a lot of cool weaponry and a lot of models. Uh, a really cool GCPS force that just has tons of troops is just it's a sight to behold. I think it's super cool. Yeah, they're they're cheaper, they're higher volume, uh, but their specialists are really neat. And um, I think you know just their ability to bring lots of cool weaponry is is their whole their whole shtick. They got all the toys, haven't they? From the from the guns point of view, it's like your it's like the NRA on steroids or something like that. They've got everything that they would ever want to bring. And and they are the sort of everyman list, you know. They they are pretty vanilla in some ways, in that um, they are just humans. That that's part of the fluff is that they are a, just a, a human army. They haven't got any fancy sort of aliens in there or cool stuff like that. So they can look a bit boring, I guess, to some people's eyes. But I think that they they have a real attitude in that, and lots of models, lots of drops, lots of options, and you can lay them out in lots of different ways as well, and make them play differently. I think they've got some proper a lot of their lists are not that stand out, but they've got some proper stellar stuff in there as well. You know, riot troopers are really, really good. Yeah. Um the Rangers, particularly the sniper squad or the tank hunter yeah, squad. Yeah, I'm familiar with how good the riot troopers are. Thanks. Thanks to Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> You'll transport riot troopers. Hard hard combo to beat. <laughs> But then you can put down a huge amount of just firepower as well. You know, if you want to bring a huge amount of weapons teams and stuff like that. And the weapons teams have got four different options. You know, you can mortar people you can't even see. You can bring your anti-tank option. You can pin everything that moves. You know, they've got a lot of different um, can opener type of units. Yeah, I think the the Ranger Sniper team and the uh, Riot Troopers are like two top tier units to take in GCPS. But also like the Ford Observer is just... Again, yeah. give him snipers, and that stealth aura he can give really helps uh, mitigate the um, the lack of resilience, you can say, for GCPS. And then after that, it's like, what flavor of stuff do you want? Do you want the massed human troops running forward? Do you want to take um, a co- combination list? You have the 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 um, uh, head weapon teams and stuff like that. And I really think my favorite choice for head weapon team is the smoke mortar. You can do a lot of cool tactical stuff with a smoke mortar for a cheap price. Like the 
the anti-tank and the the regular mortar are a bit pricey to me compared to other choices, but that smoke mortar and the uh, heavy the pinning weapon I, I forgot what the name of it is like those are solid unlocking troop choices for heavy weapon teams to sit back and just add versatility to your army. I think selective use of smoke is going to become a thing that good players use a lot actually, yeah, even in a sure. shooty army like the GCPS, where you're like, well, I'll block off this. And I'll concentrate my firepower onto other things. And for someone like the plague, who don't have much shooting, it's going to be critical. I think like a, a bit like a zombie shield, effectively. You know, I'll put something yeah. down that means that now my army's protected. You know, I think they are they're really strong options that will take some getting used to for people to work out how to do them properly. Yeah, smoke is definitely something I think that's going to be in the higher level of play that I need to definitely start experimenting with because I, I have no experience with it yet, but I. I read it and I'm like, ah, this is what's going to separate the, the cream from, from the rest, you know. A quick side note: Is it just GCPS plague and Ratkin are the only are vermin that are the only ones that uh, have smoke available? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think they're the okay. only ones. It's all the mortars, basically. Yeah, yeah. Forge fathers don't get mortars or medics because they don't need them. Right. Yeah, I was just, yeah. I was just about to go, oh, poor me. Poor me. I have a missile launcher that shoots Thor's hammer at people. That's why yeah. that missile launcher is so good. You're shooting Thor's hammer at people, and it's killing them. You're and being five, really jelly right now, ago. and it's delicious. Yeah. Five, five seconds ago, we were job. talking about how they're spoiled for choice, and then Kyle's like, there's not enough choice. Hey, there's no, just I, not I, enough no, for my You dwarves. thought it was going that way, and then I said I didn't need it. All well, right, I will just say, in our last game where we drew with his Forge Fathers, Kyle did cheat. So actually, but I remember him. He's like, okay, I'm going to shoot at you with these missile launchers and they do this. And I was like, excuse me, what? But, uh, but I, I mean, yeah. yeah, but it's just so funny. Like, like he said, I wrote the game like, and uh, still forget the rules. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> like what, what happens when you bring your chroma battle platform ahead? And Kyle was like, well, you're going to learn today. So, <laughs> um, Model-wise, like I said, the motorcycle is super cool. I just love, too, as a big fan of the movie Avatar, I love the Strider. I think the Strider is just a kit. It's, like, so cool. I know it's in a lot of different factions, or it's in a couple factions, but I love that look. Yeah, I built four or five of them at this point, and they're all they're all pretty cool. I, I yeah, love... They're a little bit addicting. Yeah, you start doing them, yeah. and you're like, I want this option. I want this yeah. option. Oh, I want to do this. I love the hand, the anti-tank one. Like, the, the gun looks cool. Uh, but I also think like stat what is that the Polaris the Polaris, the Polaris cannon? cannon yeah but I think yeah. in the in the arm list it actually is just like anti tank version of Strider is what the term is but it has the Polaris cannon Tank Buster it's I think cool. it's called is it or called? Tank Buster something like yes yeah, yeah. like anti tank Tank Buster something like that and yeah it's just it's a really solid weapon yeah uh, range thirty six four dice AP four anti tank what what more do you want from like an anti tank gun I mean I want to hit on fours but uh, you have the order to give uh, way to fire so you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh i miss you Je- I, I just gotta say a shout out to jesse man i miss you buddy yeah you know if he, right here if he was here he would be on the show with us i know he would have been all about firefight he was a big fan even in the you know dead zone when he got into dead zone he was a massive fan really positive and we did talk a little bit about firefight before it became a thing actually yeah yeah, yeah. While he so was shout out there. to you buddy we miss you every day so uh, we looked at Striders. We we looked at and and like I just think the the basic look of the GCPS is cool. I just dig it. I think it's a really neat looking faction. Far and away, my favorite models are the Rangers. 
I think the GCPS Rangers with the cool helmets and the jump packs and that they just look so good. Uh, it's one of my only factions. I'm kind of like Andy. I don't really have a giant army of them because I don't know if I want to commit to making a giant <laughs> army of them because I already have so many giant armies. But dang it, those Rangers are oh, they're so cool. I call them a name. I think and they're an army that because they have that one sprue that does a lot of different things. Um, there aren't really that many sort of model-wise standout options, I don't think, because they do all look quite similar, which is part of their appeal. But one of the new models I think looks really good is um, Therese Washington, the new leader. Um, I think this, the posing that they've done with her is is really, really great. And I think the, the other leader who's not strictly GTPS, as we mentioned before, is the Ford Observer. If you put Rocker in there, one of his poses, there's a couple of models him i think but his posing is incredible oh you can build him in, it's the same model but you can build him in two different ways i think uh, and his posing is incredible as well and he just sort of having him in a gcps list just looks great as well this one lonely and enforcer there he's an absolute beast in the, in oh, the novel too and yeah. first strike Oof, yeah so, so cool i do think i like i like a lot how mantic went for the power fist type weapon of not this giant you know torso sized hand but just kind of like an oversized boxing glove with some cool yeah. bits on it so for the uh the enforcers as well i really love that okay it makes sense like this is i can see this being a power fist and you know punching a hole through somebody but at the same time it's not i'm not leaning over dragging my knuckles as i'm walking around with this thing i'm attaching my arm <laughs> <laughs> and i think the, the the new model the Teresa washington model she has a power fist too right she has like a shotgun and a pistol and yeah a, she does. is that yeah, the new model cool. that's the commander and the strike force that's right. She's yeah. like yeah. standing on. The uh, yeah, she's in the strike force, and she was in the dead zone uh, two-player starter okay. set as well. Yeah, so she's cool. So she, she's a really great resin model. I think she's really sort of uh, style-wise and her posing. I mean, it's a bit it's a bit disappointing that she's standing on some vehement armor. I mean, I, I did try to suggest that maybe they should put some marauders down there or something, but yeah. <laughs> great segue. Let's uh, yeah, talk about of, marauders. Speaking of marauders, let's talk marauders. Go, go, Tyler. Uh, yeah, so good things about Marauders. They're orcs in space. That's always fun. Um, <laughs> they're different from other orcs in space. They're not ramshackle. They're very commando tactical uh, efficient in that sense. Uh, big draws to the army are the fact that they are pretty much resilient one uh, gameplay wise, like almost entirely across the board, which makes them just that much harder to kill than you think they should be, uh, which is a really fun aspect. And then you know, their punchy stuff punches hard. Their shooty stuff is pretty good at shooting. Uh, they're generally fairly cheap in terms of point cost, and they're solid, solid faction. A lot of options, too. You forgot one of the best things. There are some goblins in there as well. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I, don't know like if, I don't know if Bob Burton <laughs> paid you to say that, but yeah, I get, I get that. I get that. Yeah. Goblins as well. Uh, they got the goblin uh, little goblins in the single suits and then they have the the bigger kind of strider size goblin guys they got the heavy weapons the stunt bot really the cool. stunt bot is, is so is such a cool model yeah, yeah so they, they got a lot of cool style to them uh they got a kind of a rework in their in their uh visual appearance which i think uh is, is really needed and really cool it makes them stand out they don't look just like other space orcs i, I like them a lot yeah, I think uh, they have one of my favorite command units in the game in the Marauder Warlord because he can take five, four or five buddies with him. 
I think that might be the only commander in the game that can take more than two friends. And that's just a death squad you put in a mule and just send out, give them cool orders, and they just murder things for you. So it's it's cool having a frontline commander that's actually meant to go out. You know, most other armies I'm playing with, trying to keep my leader models hidden so they don't get shot off the board. But no, throw that Marauder Warlord out there. He's got four wounds. He'll pinch people to death. Give them all claws. Uh, the whole he's got are, like frenzy. His special order is like yeah. frenzy three or frenzy four, right? Like frenzy, it's like frenzy three aura. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, you're, that's you're not missing. You're not missing yeah. that guy's in the. In the <laughs> that fray. is a big, a lot of r- r- dice re rolls, right? Yeah, and they have a fantastic anti tank unit in the Hulk. I love yeah. the Hulk. The, the model is super cool. It's it's really re- it's resilient too. <laughs> you can take two of them in a you know a buddy pair, and they just murder things. And it's it's a much different style of uh anti-tank than a lot of other armies have because it's just it's a it's a giant troll basically that buddy pair is really important for the hulk because we yeah. talked before about the stride and not being able to delete things in one go but if you take a pair obviously that's one activation so they do have it's not going to be easy but they do have that potential then to actually take things out yeah I think their Hue Beamer is pretty good, too, and their weapons team. I mean, you can take two Hue Beamers for 110 points, range yeah. 36, two dice. I mean, you're only hitting on fives, right? But it's AP5. I mean, I think that's like a nice um, – they have some good anti-armor choices. Yes, yeah, for sure. And I think they're definitely a more forgiving faction. I think there's a reason they're in the starter set as well. Um, you know, them and Enforcers being in the starter set is just such a – great intro to the game because they play differently but they both do things you know pretty much as as you'd expect them to on the tin as uh andy would say but uh yeah they're, they're just a, a good all-rounder faction you know they're i think standout wise gameplay i think the uh rainmakers are pretty cool oh yeah the ripper suits yeah. are awesome both versions yeah. i think are pretty cool but the rainmakers rainmakers just yeah. make it happen it's just yeah, like yeah. oh i'm okay. gonna shoot this and this and this and this and you're like are you done yet <laughs> now nah, i still got two yeah so uh insert michael bay michael bay movie meme rainmaker yeah, yeah exactly you know, bring the rain <laughs> they always live with like explosions behind them and in front of them and everywhere around exactly so. i think but, yeah I love the most about them probably is not so much any particular sort of model or anything like that or gameplay, but they're very, very versatile. You know, that, that new Marauder sprue has got a lot of different stuff on it. You can build the brawlers, you can build the commandos, you can build the, all the heavy weapon options. And actually you can also mix it up by swapping the arms onto the new skyscrapers, which are incredible models. I think they're really good. Yeah. But if we're talking can, standout yeah. models, skyscrapers, yeah. the new skyscrapers are a 10 out of 10. And, and you can arm swap them all. So I, I've, I've swapped out a lot of arms off my skyscrapers, but then I put the skyscraper arms and heads onto my marauders on foot. And yeah, right. It's a shotgun. They're not allowed a shotgun, but phew, looks like a rifle to me. Yeah. You know, I'm so just waiting for led led lights and skyscrapers. You know, that's what I I want to see. Oh, LED Jetpack light. sauce would be so amazing. That would be great. Someone's going to do that now. Yeah. Won't be me. Uh-huh. But yeah, they're an amazing model. Uh, I've always sort of given Mantic a hard time about sometimes in their model design, things feel too static to me. There isn't a sense of motion. Mm-hmm. I want mm-hmm. more dynamic, dynamic posing, or I want a little bit more uh, feeling of motion. And these skyscrapers have that in, in spades, right? I mean, they're they're yeah. lifting off the ground. I mean, what more could you ask for as far as wanting a sense of motion in a model? Yeah, they look great. And they look like they're lifting off the ground in a really haphazard way. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. 
like not yeah and like you said i love the fact that this is a different take where it's not like soccer hooligans running around in space yeah it's it's uh uh highly trained really tough uh commandos like straight up Ar- arnold schwarzenegger from commando you know i just love the like uh, <laughs> uh, uh it's just like a really cool vibe to them yeah, I think that they really sort of touch that sort of professional soldier mercenary sort of thing, you know, sort of guy. Soldier of yeah. Fortune. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like they all have subscriptions to Soldier Republic of Fortune you know, magazine, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's also, just well, something that stood out to me on the sprue for the, the standard commandos is that they actually have a few arm options where you're where the guys are reloading their guns, which you basically mm-hmm. never see in anything ever. And I think it's really cool. He's like holding the clip in one hand and he's like putting it into the into the actual gun. I think it's just really neat. It just adds a lot yeah, of that's like sweet. He's probably waiting for a goblin to tell him how to do it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on to we're on the home stretch now. Only two more factions to go over. So let's go over the the plague. What do we think about the plague? This is one of my other favorite factions, if I had to pick them. Uh Plague are just so cool. I, I love, love, love the new stuff that come out. Like I love the zombies, the three A's. Like they've got a really nice range as well, um, in terms of models. And then in terms of gameplay, they do something that nobody else really does. Is they are pretty punchy. <laughs> I mean, all their guys, even their their standard three A guys, like don't sleep on them as like, oh well, they have guns, so you know, like no, these guys have two dice in combat, and they will rip your face off um what's not to love you know you got you got little dudes you got cheap guys and you have giant monsters and that's everything you could ever want in the list really yeah they're proper aggro aren't they you sort of you can't be timid about playing them i think that's one of the things as well isn't it when you talk about sort of armies and play styles these ones they're not exactly they're not they're not difficult to play but they're not the easiest either because you you do need to push them forward and take the losses because you know that once again there, then they will tear things apart. Because I, as Tyler said, that even your sort of relatively mundane stuff does the work and will probably win, um, you know, one on one against most other factions, to be honest, or most other units, except for the full on, you know, Thorgarim or something. But you know, if you go and even the three A's, if you take them against enforcers. And those enforcers didn't get to do their coordinated fire. Well, they're not winning that probably. You know, it's likely that you know, even a basic eighty-point unit is taking out the more expensive, highly class, uh, highly skilled sort of um, uh, enforcer operative unit. So yeah, you've you've got to be bold with them. I think they probably are the best assault faction in the game. They have all the options you want. They have teleport, they have orders, and things like that. But the one thing they really are short on is long-range anti-tank. Yeah. They pretty much just have the Strider, and that's it. And I don't know, like it's it, it looks cool with like the dead guy in there or whatever, the zombie inside the Strider with the broken cockpit and stuff. But I just don't see many plague people care to take the Strider. It just it's it's different. It doesn't it doesn't fit the army visually wise every time. And everyone's like, ah, screw it. <laughs> I don't need that. They'll, they'll figure a different way to, to punch that tank think, in the face. So I think the anti-tank one is is not as good because you can do the anti-tank with your aberration and stuff like that, which is a more sort of yeah. easier fix. Yeah. I guess what you might want to do with a strider is the urban assault one and the pinning one. Do do add things that you maybe aren't getting so easily elsewise. But I think 
Striders aren't the go-to place for plague. I don't think you yeah. you want you want the aberrations, you want the corruptions, you want the teratons, you know, you want your big gribblies. And that corruption, that new corruption model is uh, sick. Yeah, he's really cool. I'm he's I'm really pretty cool. sure we're going to start seeing him in Kings of War armies over the next year or so. Yeah, <laughs> he definitely even, has that, even the aberration I love. It's like you know, like in that awesome uh, Hulk esque pose. I think is a great model. Yeah. Well, I think the other one that sort of is really great as well is the one A because in this game, unlike perhaps in Dead Zone, if you're used to playing Dead Zone, he can he can shift in this game. He gets around oh, where yeah, he, yeah. he moves no worse he's, than anyone else. So he's not a, he's not a one one like in Dead Zone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. and his, and his order, his command order for him is so good at keeping your your guys in the fight and keeping them around. It's only a resilient one bubble, but. That makes such a difference if you've got things like leapers, you know, your good assault units around yeah. him. And so that you just sort of get him up, fire that bubble off, put everyone in his bubble, and I just keep moving forwards, keeping my guys going. And then maybe I'll regenerate one every now and again with their infection rule or something like that. And so, because you're going to take those losses getting in, your goal probably as, as a play player is going to be replacing your losses. And then when it comes to the fight, terrifying your enemy and stuff like that, because that's a really important, it's an order anyway, and a lot of the big gribbly units have it anyway, but it re- relies on nerve tests. So you might want to take the risk against GCPS, but against um, enforcers, you are, I'll just spend the points to make sure that you are pinned. Therefore, you're fighting worse than me. You're not shooting me. And when I get into you, I am just going to mess you up like there's no tomorrow. Yeah, and Kyle now, you- touched on it a little bit with the uh, the Marauder Warlord guy, but the Plague Leaders in particular are in the fray. Like, these are actual combat units that happen to be yeah. commanders. You don't really see these guys hanging around in the backfield, like, praying that they don't get seen. These guys are all up in your business, and they have to be, because that's kind of where all your punch comes from. I do think that Plague are definitely on one of the higher... Uh, skill gap kind of things to do at least so far in my experience is they are not easy to pilot because if you if you aren't doing the orders if you aren't you know moving correctly you will just get absolutely shot off the table and so being able to kind of mitigate that and see the strengths and see the weaknesses and being able to distract with one hand and then move other stuff around to the other you know it's all really important but it's it's definitely a little bit on the the higher difficulty end in terms of like newbie faction uh, I'd agree with that. Right. I think, I think some of the the orders may not look that exciting on paper sometimes as well. But when you get them to work right, particularly sort of a double fighting and stuff like that, you know, smashing one unit and then being able to jump onto another unit to also smash that. If you get that to come off once in a game, that, that is probably going to make something. Oh, fun it's happening. incredibly rewarding. Like when you yeah, do get yeah. to punch a tank in the face with an aberration, and you. You know, you you, <laughs> you get up to that that Forge Father tank that's like you know armor nine or whatever, and you're like, I don't care. Bam! Like it's very very satisfying. Well, that was the one time in Dead Zone I killed an Iron Ancestor. I had an aberration charge it, and I was like, I'll use my extra combat dice. I use everything. I roll seventeen eights, and it's just the the aberration just put its claws into the chest of the Iron Ancestor, ripped it open, and then squashed the head of the guy driving it. And it's just oh god, I love. It's just like there's a certain narrative that you can have in your mind in sci-fi games that is just so much fun. And this rule set like really plays to that. So like in, uh, when we were playing and, uh, against GCPS, I had one Asterian sniper marionette left and he dome shot 
two mule drivers, one bullet through the glass windshield <laughs> into the head of the driver of the mule and killed two mules. And he's just running around super sniper guy shooting like, you know, the perfect headshots through glass windows, man. It was so much fun. <laughs> and then we, we decided in our next game, which of my Asterian snipers was that guy. And then Kyle killed him immediately. He was like first yes. squad to die. Super he sniper. Like, dude. <laughs> standout oh. models for plague we touched on a little bit yeah. but pretty much anything that's big i'm all about it i mean anything that's like a the plague terraton plague lord i think the stage 1a the old sculpt the new sculpt any of the sculpts is still like one of my favorite models it's so good i like the bursters a big fan of the bursters as well in their style the, the old metal ones you could kill a someone breaking into your house with but um now that they're coming into resin i think soon that'll be nicer but they're just really sort of nice big chunky fat guys who are just like yeah they, they mean business and they play quite nicely in this one they've got a ranged attack which you don't actually have um you don't expect them to have but um yeah they're kind of cool i think uh, something Rashad brought up i think it's just a cool for me cool visually in my head like playing the game is a mule full of plague swarms so I think you can fit a full-size plague swarm into a mule. And it's the idea of it like crashing through the barricade and all these rabid like rats and dogs <laughs> swarming out of this mule. Like, what's going on? Like it's just a it's a cool idea to me. <laughs> all your infected stuff is just like yeah. put it all put that all in the back of the truck and just like you know, put a put a piece of like cinder block on the acceleration and tie the wheel. Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> thank you, bad guys. Yeah, just smash it in. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, awesome. Well, let's take a look at the last faction, um, the Veermen. What do we think about Veermen? Save like the best to the last. Yeah, there's yeah a, so why don't you take us off first, Andy? Oh, yeah. It's the easiest faction, right? <laughs> uh, I, I love the aesthetic of the Veermen. I think they're just so cool. They're sort of insidiously hiding around sort of race that everyone, a species, sorry, that everyone sort of knows is there, but everyone thinks it's no threat. And then when it all comes down to the why I think you know civil unrest and so suddenly they would all just appear and take over the key locations. I think it's just so great. And the, the aesthetic that runs through the list of like the drills and all the chemical masks and stuff like that, which we've seen in the Kings of War uh, Ratkin army as well as it's sort of migrated down into the fantasy level. Um, I think that's just so striking and it, and it it's just so... Um, attractive to me and so cool that they um that they do that and they we've even seen it come back across now as well with some of the kings of war stuff moving back in with the claw shots which when we talk about great models i think they're they're right up there as well and they, they're really interchangeable you know you can use the stuff between the ratkin and the vehemin models as well but as a as a play style um they're pretty fast generally pretty fast you know faster than a lot of units they're not the best at shooting they're not the best at fighting um but they've got quite a lot of bodies and i think you've got quite a few different options as well and some of those options can be a bit sort of quirky and jinxy i think in using smoke and subterranean deployment and getting your big tunneler or your tunnel runners on there they've got some of the most sort of iconic models i think in the two tunneling ones the the tunneler is the one that drops the troops off and can have heavy weapons on it um and then the tunnel runner which you know basically five i only exists so i can put all five of mine on the table that is literally <laughs> the reason. i just picked up three of them so i'm on the same page <laughs> and they got mac the knife right tyler 
And they got Mac the knife. The, you only know a unit's icon. got a leader if it's got two knives in the guy's hands, right? Try five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love the the aesthetic of the Veerman. Um, I'm a huge sucker for the gas mask look. I think it looks super, super cool and very striking, like you said. Um, they're a really fun faction, and they do have a lot of options, like a surprising amount of different play styles within their faction. Um, something I definitely want to try is a uh, mutant rat fiend. I just think oh, that model is so gross great. and awful. So and I, I need to get one. I It's definitely on my wish list of like models I need to get. And, and like with he's all these... filthy as well. Pretty filthy in the game. Oh, yeah. he's He's got, what, like eight dice or something? Yeah. And he's, yeah. he's a monster. He's got two um, mouths. He's got to have more dice than anybody else, right? Yeah, of course. The thing <laughs> the thing that disturbs me the most about that model is all the tails on the back. Like the giant, the giant gaping mouth in the stomach. I'm like, oh yeah, that's creepy, whatever. But the the tails on the back, like, just send shivers down my spine. I, Tail it, I also love it. Uh, Dan Dan Kamix, I saw his at Lone Wolf because he was bringing Ratkin, and he brought like proper Ratkin. And, oh my god, that was the best paint job I've ever seen on that model. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah, that guy, that guy can bring it. Me. Yeah, he can bring it. Uh, but yeah, I think Vermin are just really cool. Uh, a lot of it burns, which is fun. Um, it's just, it's a really cool faction. And I think they function pretty well in either like bigger groups, but also they can do like lots of small units. Um, something I kind of want to experiment with is, is trying lots of small units with them just to be a general nuisance with people. I love the, um, the matriarch. I think looks really cool as far as model wise. I love the the matriarch booster with her the, the bodyguards plus the little rat swarms. But yeah, I think visually is sort of like a World World War One esque aesthetic to them. I agree with you. They're very very cool looking army. Tons of I imagine them. You could do a lot of really super cool conversions with them too. When I'm thinking about uh their different units, but a lot of like like you said, using stuff from Kings of War and firefight together you could do like tons of really great stuff i think and that new pack leader model from the dead zone oh, starter oh, oh good oh so good and the, and the brood guard with him but the pack leader is just i think um was it jeremy you said before about sort of movement in a model and and he just yes reads the sort of lumbering presence doesn't he he's sort of he's about to leap off his thing he's standing on this rock he's standing on and just tear you a new one he's just beautiful the, the one thing I think for me with Ratkin is they have like a meta defining unit that you, you have to plan for with every armor you build in the tunnel, the tunneler. Yeah. It's the only thing in the game that lets you just charge uh, from reserves. Yeah. Uh, there's anyone else using reserves that can't charge in the same term. So you have to have an idea or a plan for like, okay, if, if I'm playing Ratkin, or if I'm playing Vermin, um, how do I deal with the tunneler? Because it's a super cool model. Why would you not take it? You pack it full of nightmares because it's everyone's nightmare. <laughs> nightmares are so good. Nightmares and, are so good. <laughs> and they can charge unhindered. So, you know, how do you, how do you deal with a tunneler full of nightmares is something you have to think of in every list. And uh, and then I can have, you guys have covered all the points, but they have a lot of other cool stuff too. So, you know, it's not just a gimmicky, I take a tunneler, uh, look at me. And it's still, it's it's something you can counter, but you have to think about it. You have to, you're just like a steering shield. It's, it's something in the army that really sets it apart from the other ones. I think with really strong play styles like that with a subterranean as well, you, you almost have a, a part of your play is deception as well. It's like, I've brought my tunneler, but 
you know, maybe I'm not going to put it where you want it, where you're expecting it to be, because then yeah. you're he's keeping guys back to deal with the space that it might come into, and then you do something different with it, and you know, because you can, you don't have to deploy it right at the back where you might ideally want to. You can do something different, and then, like you say, the nightmares coming out a unit of nightmares because you can have quite a few models on it. They're they're super super strong, um, and then you play on those things like subterranean deployment. Um, the charge that you can ignore hindered on as an order and stuff. Those are the things that will make your um, Veermin really shine. Yeah, definitely one of the best things. orders for sure. The, the one oh, where yes. you aren't hindered and can just make it happen. Burrowing such attack. a powerful, yeah, yeah. burrowing attack. So yeah. strong, so good. So I think I think they they got pretty shocking nerve though. So you know you are going to need probably a few more leaders and stuff like that to sort of give them a little bit more of a boost. A bit like the GCPS is similar. You know they don't have the greatest nerve as you might expect. You know the standard grunts. So dropping down two or three sort of relatively cheap leader units to give different orders, particularly the um, progenitor whose basic order is something called scurry which allows everything to move it's only three inches i think but it's um makes it's, a difference yes, absolutely yeah it just um it just makes your army that's already quite fast suddenly you've gone into a, an 8 inch charge range if you play that order on him on your standard sort of units and and if that's an unhindered charge that can really mess up a, an enemy particularly as you think a lot of the standard small arms only got 18 inches range anyway so you know having things that can charge you when they weren't looking like they were charging at the uh, beginning of the uh, of the activation is is really important well awesome man man we covered some really great stuff so uh, we're going to take a quick break and on the other side we'll do shout outs and we'll wrap up the show we'll be right back do you take delight in playing with friends and their toys in a safe place free of judgment counter charge after dark it's where magic happens. Check the show notes and Facebook group announcements for the Discord link. Hey, this is Ash Barker from GMG, and you are listening to Countercharge. And we are back. Wow, this has been an awesome, supersized, inaugural, fantastic firefight, fanatic bonanza. I want to say thank you so much to coming on the show, Andy. I hope that this is uh, the first of many awesome recording sessions. We'd love to have you back as Countercharge really looks forward to doing a lot of um, firefight content. Um but as far as what you got, you got on the table coming up, Andy. Are you guys? Are you looking at maybe doing some more way to fire battle reports? Do you, do you see yourself bringing back the way to fire podcast, or are any shout outs or anything coming up for you? You want to talk about? Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks very much again. Yeah, thanks for inviting me on. I think it's uh, it's brilliant to be on here chatting about firefight, and I think with regards to sort of way to fire, yeah, I think the podcast, the podcast, we love doing that, but. Um, we found that it wasn't uh, we weren't able to give it the commitment that we wanted to so it's much easier for me on a personal level to do videos when i when i can so that's become the go-to thing and firefight is something that obviously we'll be doing more bat reps like i say we've got a, quite a large bat rep planned uh, probably in the next week or so my mate hal is just uh, finishing his last couple of models i think today or tomorrow actually 
and then um, we'll be ready for 2,500 points and we'll we'll see how that goes and then we'll we'll probably scale up from there and just try lots of different things, try and keep the Mad game. lads. Yeah. Mad well, lads. You've got to. You've got to. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, for me, sort of gaming-wise, it's, it's mostly going to be consolidating what uh, I need for firefighting. I mean, that's very much a thing. I'm going to the Dead Zone National in the UK uh, in September, so I'll I'll be focusing on firefight for a while, and then it gets towards the sort of end of summer. I'll probably switch my head back over to to Dead Zone. As regards to sort of shout outs, I think you know, shout out to you guys actually, to be honest, on Countercharge because I think you know you guys are traditionally the Kings of War sort of bastion, and I think it's great to see that you're trying out these other games and promoting them because it. it any game, no matter what it is or, or how good it is or not good it is, it requires people to hear it and to play it and to be positive about it. So I think what we're doing today and hopefully you're going to carry on with these monthly things is going to be huge. You've got such a big community behind you, uh, particularly in the USA, but globally as well. And I think you know if the game is going to succeed, it's going to be a huge part because of Countercharge, Dreadpuff Zone. It's going to be because of people putting it out there uh, and broadening the community that get exposed to it. So fantastic guys. Thanks very much indeed for inviting us. Well, I mean, that that was sort of Tyler's idea, which is like the meeting of the minds and then Kyle's our muscle. So it's like Tyler bring in, uh, you know, Tyler and then let's do some stuff. And then, and then Kyle can be there giving the demos. And then if anyone wants to talk smack, I I mean, you've never seen Kyle in real life, but he's like a big dude. Mongo is just pawn in game of life. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's, that's really our goal. One, the the main countercharge goal is that we want to try to give a, a variety of content around the games we love produced at a high level. And that's sort of like our mission statement, right? Is is how how can we do that? And then how can we do that about uh, different games? And sometimes our content follows our passion, right? Because when you're passionate about something, the content that you do produce is of a higher inherent level, I think, because you're excited about it. So I just know that That's Kyle cool. and I and Tyler are just super psyched for Firefight just because it's it's an, it's an amazing game and for all the reasons why we've covered today. But um, I'll, I'll throw it over to you, Tyler, sort of what's on your agenda or any shout outs? Uh, let's see. Not, not really shout outs in particular. I mean, keep an eye on my channel, I suppose, for uh, more content since I just filmed some. Um, so I need to hit that pretty hard in the editing. Hopefully I can crank that out. Um, I've got some cool ideas in terms of videos and things that I could be doing, but you know, time is always short. Uh, yeah, it's just been super fun and I'm really, really excited to get this, this branch of the show launched, you know, and since all these units have counter charge, it just, it's just so perfect. And I'll put up a post. I'm thinking for our next episode, we put the seven factions up and we have people vote. And then the next episode we do, we do a deep dive. Maybe we do that. Yeah, that, we, that would be great. I'd, we could do, do more like unit by unit, and then we'll do some sample force lists. You know, we'll make some army lists. We'll talk about strategy. So stay tuned for that. I'll put a poll up after this episode come, goes live of what faction you guys want to hear us. And then we'll do a couple of those. We'll co- do a couple of deep dives into factions. You know, hopefully, you know, as more time comes comes by, we'll start talking about uh, competitive tournaments and stuff as they get going in the in the u.s but i think that's probably where we're going to go first as the uh the firefight uh cadre of ca- the countercharge firefight cadre is we'll be looking at some um faction breakdowns but yeah i suppose in terms of shout outs yeah just keep uh keep an eye on this space as kyle pretzel twinkie and i uh figure out what we're going to do for this firefight gt just stay tuned we'll be all over about it so 
it'll be well advertised once we figure out what we're doing. Yeah, Andy, will we ever see you at Adepticon again, do you think? Yeah, I really hope so. I mean, I absolutely had a blast when I came over to Adepticon yeah. with you guys. Uh, yeah, you well, just drove me in forever ago now, hasn't it? It's been a global yes. pandemic. I mean, that was the last time I went to Adepticon was the year that you that you went. And <laughs> right. so that was, what, 2017 or 2018 or uh, 2019, yeah, yeah. maybe? Who knows? It's 19, uh, maybe. Yeah. COVID time is like a black hole paradox. It makes yeah. no sense. So my, my absolute highlight of that is actually coming down to um, give uh, Tyler a beer while he was desperately painting up a model he'd forgotten or lost or something like that yeah yeah i, I didn't pack my ogre warlock so i went over to the mantic stand bought one and then took it over to the reaper uh free trial painting area and i was vigorously painting it just so i could now that's that. just smart that's how you that's how you get an army you know? ready at a, at a convention and then, and then at, at the convention they have those like potted plant trees and so i stole a rock out of there and stuck it on the base <laughs> oh, so it was that is just chef's kiss as we and it's actually one of my it's one of my best painted uh ogre warlocks if i don't i need basic materials let me look around the hotel for their potted plants <laughs> yes sir the rocks. yes sir but i couldn't have got through it without uh andy's hilarious beer support so <laughs> No, I'd love to go back out again. It was a it was a great event, and hopefully, Firefight will be something that is taking part in it on a in a you know which isn't isn't clashing or anything like with other big events. That's often a problem, I think, with um, any of these uh, multi. Well, I told the pretzel twinkie. Schedule. I told the pretzel twinkie that he'll be dead to me if he if they schedule the Firefight tournament the same day as the Kings of War tournament yeah, at exactly. Adepticon next year. I just said you're dead to me if if that happens. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, what, you what, want to pull from the same crowd, you see. That's the no, problem. No, I want to go to, and especially for an event like Adepticon. Adepticon is a, a event for people who love multiple miniature games. I yeah. want to go to Adepticon for four days and play all my games. Not yeah, just exactly. have to only play one game. I want to be able to play my Kings of War, my Firefight, my Marvel Crisis Protocol. I want to be able to play a little bit of everything at, yeah. at that style of uh, convention. Um yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. What about you, Kyle? Any what's coming up on your agenda? Any shout-outs or anything? Yeah, so uh, U.S. Masters is next month up in Seattle. Uh, getting ready for that. Me, Jeremy, and Britain will be driving up together uh, in a party bus. So lucky you can drive <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're driving it's so far well, away. Well, it, it's it, it's for Britain. It, it's going to be a two-day drive. <laughs> so I think I think for Britain, it's. 16 to 20 hours he's two hours south of me so he's picking me up along the way we're stopping with at jeremy's uh place uh thursday night wednesday night wednesday night then we're driving up thursday to seattle uh so it's 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 not going to be an easy drive, but it's going to be a fun drive because it's cool. And they're going to get to my house in Napa, and I'm going to have a, a charcuterie plate ready for them oh, and God. some some fancy air mattresses. And I'm going to crush so some them. crackers and meat. Yeah, you know, also <laughs> grapes, you know, we'll like go, you know, stroll around the vineyards, you know. So I'll have a, some relaxation time planned for them. Yeah, but so we'll, we'll be, you know, part of because we're driving at the room, I'll be bringing up Firefight and Dead Zone and have a bunch of terrain for that. So if you're going to Masters, make sure to bring your stuff too. Verse me, bro. I'm I'm available. <laughs> Bring it, Kyle. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm down. Fight. <laughs> and uh, if you're on the, uh, they do have a best of the rest, and I know they have some more slots open. So if you're borderline, if you want to go or not, please come. They the Pacific Northwest guys are the cool kids club. <laughs> they may not be the best at playing the game, but they're the best at having fun and and partying. And, and them at Masters in New York a couple years ago was 
was was a great time and they have a really cool setup uh for the tournament so if you're uh you know the best of the rest is just everyone else who wants to play uh it'll be a really cool time to see high level tournaments what what that's like if you're on the on the edge of playing or something like that it's, it's really easy in and out they they set up a good thing so yeah i think they have around 24 25 people signed up for best of the rest plus yeah. masters you're already looking at almost a 90 person event yeah. So, you know, a few more people, it's going to be over 100 people all in one weekend playing Kings of War. And uh, with podcasting, we're going to have our countercharge set up filming. I already told uh, Tyler that we got to film some firefight stuff while we're up there. I was like, is it hard to transport your camera? And the shrub tells me, he was like, well, not really, because my phone is my camera. And I was like, oh, come on. Come on, hey, man. Hey, hey don't, don't tell the, the folks all the answers. I was like, secrets. come on, man. Where's your Rob has three boxes of professional sound equipment that he's got to like, <laughs> ship, you know? Come on. But uh, I forgive you, though. I, and then I just the... rely on charisma. That's yeah. That's all I do. <laughs> uh-huh. Winning smile. Uh-huh. <laughs> And then for some uh, local stuff, if you're in uh, Southern California area, please check out our uh, uh, Kings of War page, Surge and Destroy. It's our group. We currently we have a bi-yearly uh, campaign. Uh, we, pl- we not campaign uh, league. We play with uh, awards and prizes for everybody. And it's more just uh, a, a laid back, you know, get some games and have some fun. If you play any other Mantic games, check out Surge and Destroy. We also play a bunch of other stuff. I'm based in the uh, Redondo Beach, Torrance area, but I'm more than willing to drive the meet out and play games i like playing games uh, i like little plastic men it's a good yeah. combination if uh, you're in southern california and you haven't played at the chateau de holcomb yeah. uh you need to get connected with the surgeon destroy guys and go visit scott's house it truly is a, a mecca for uh kings of war and mantic gaming on the west coast so well awesome fellas um andy why don't you go ahead and take us out thanks very much guys it's been a pleasure and remember keep counter charging thanks for listening And we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.